0: thirds of americans are at risk of experiencing an electrical blackout you could be one of them sitting in the dark and cold for hours for days maybe even weeks are you ready to protect your family you could be with the patriot power solar generator 2000x these things are sweet because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable Go to fourpatriots.com slash meat eater to get your solar generator. Now you'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to for Patriots.com Meat Eater. On X Hunt Elite is worth every penny. It really is. Every hunt, every planning session, every gear purchase. I was on it already today. With your Elite membership, you will get application and draw odd tools, exclusive pro deals on gear from the industry's best, exclusive mapping and scouting tools, and last but not least, access to nationwide coverage. And now Canada. On X Hunt Elite will make you more successful on your network x hunt try on x hunt free for seven days or go to on slash hunt and use code meat eater for 20 percent off your new elite membership this is
1: the meat eater podcast coming at you shirtless severely bug bitten and in
2: my case underwearless hunt, the meat eater podcast you can't predict anything.
0: We're looking out the window right now, and there's a green heron fishing. And when we just looked at that a second ago, and I wanted to mention it, we used to, my old man had a, um, You know, like the drum inside of a washing machine, like in the old old days, they just had like these big steel perforated drums inside a top loading washing machine. We use one of those for a live well off of some industrial size washing machine, right? Because it's already perforated. So you just set it out in the lake, throw some rocks in there, some bricks in there. And then you could put all your bluegills and perch in there, right? And wait till you had enough where it warranted cleaning them. So we'd just go down and catch a few and throw them in there. And then when you had this whole thing full, we'd go down and scale them and flay them. But there was this heron that lived on our lake or spent a lot of time hunting our lake, and he would never get in his head that they were that they were captive. So he would land way the hell down the beach and stalk this thing like just painstakingly sneak up on this thing and then bam, grab a bluegill out of there and never just got comfortable with the idea. He was like a dude that hunts high fence, right? Where they still go through (laughs) all the like (laughs) to get like their camo on, you know, and they, you know, they they go through all the rigmarole, but then he would just come up and, uh, yeah, never got in his head that he could just land there and, and start eating bluegills. Um, Parker, it's really. I'm really glad you're here. Do you mind if we touch on a few things before we start talking to you? Mm, please do. Okay. Uh, another point to raise, Giannis. You know how you think that. You know how you think that it's stupid that I think that there is confusion around what constitutes a half or whole breast.
3: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I think you're burning your precious time I'm worrying about that.
0: Check this out. A guy wrote in, he was at the grocery store this weekend, and there was a woman fixing to buy chicken breasts, which were on sale. And she was having a disagreement with the meat purveyor about are you talking about a whole breast or half a breast? He says that at one point in time, she even groped on her body, which she thought <laughs> amounted to a breast.
3: And in the end, Hold on. So she was right, and the butcher was saying, no, that's not a whole breast. No, she's like, well, what do you mean? I gather that she felt it
0: meant that she should get two or whatever. But she registered confusion, (laughs) point being. This is not just a thing that comes down to turkey hunters. Parker, you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about.
4: What do you think about that? I think a whole breast is two halves.
0: So if I say I'm going to smoke up a turkey breast, what do you think I'm smoking?
4: I think you're smoking I think you're smoking a half, but I think it's slang. I think it's slang for, uh, if I say I'm, I'm getting a turkey breast, that means half. But if you're I smoking think, a turkey breast, that means whole. Man, I no, don't
3: know. No, See, he's still saying it. half. But what he's saying is it's slang. So, But you're saying on a bird. If you were like, I shot him in the breast, you'd be talking about his whole chest.
0: Correct. A guy wrote in and said, this doesn't even need to be a problem. If we would adopt um, things from the poultry industry where they call them lobes. Mm. Because you don't talk about it. You talk about lobes. And then all confusion falls away.
5: I don't know if that word's that appetizing, though. Smoking up a lobe. lobe. (laughs) I would think it was like he was smoking a joint. It was
0: some slang term for a type of joint. Some guy says, yeah, I'm smoking up a big old lobe this weekend. I'm like, oh, really? Uh, Moving on. Just clearing up a couple of housekeeping issues here. Uh, We just did a podcast about all the the 9 million acres of landlocked land in the West. And the guy wrote in. He says, I'm not like taking this as a slam on the East because you weren't talking about the East but he says he spent some time on on x he lives in north carolina because he knows about a lot of landlocked land around his house in north carolina so he spent some time on on x and within a 20 minute drive of his home in north carolina there are 847 acres of landlocked land around him one chunk he says kind of because it's river accessible but there's no boat launch anywhere. There's no public boat launch anywhere near there. So it would be hours on the water.
3: Ooh, sounds like a really good I spot. I know that sounds
0: like a freaking honey hole, man. <clears throat> he doesn't give any details about where it is. A lot of national forests, but there's landlocked land within the national forest. So he said this is a problem that plagues us as well out here.
3: And I believe that they said that they're going to be working on more states. but Those 13 Western states is just where they decided to start.
0: Yeah, I think they should. Um, another question podcast episode 134 steve mentioned their bush pilot was dismayed at something they wanted to bring back to town and i was supposed to talk about it later but never did what the pilot was dismayed about is that so we had a generator to charge camera batteries and it was insult the, the idea was insulting to him that you would move gas <laughs> back to town like I think a lot of his career has been spent getting gas out to people in weird places who need gas, and he was insulted by the idea that one would bring a two-gallon can of gas back to town where, as he explained to us, there are gas stations all over the place. <laughs> And wanted us to go find, at least go find a quad runner and pour that gas
3: into it. <laughs> he also had the personality that, like, that's his, that was his shtick, was to be just dismayed at everything. He was grumpy. That wasn't the only thing that got, got his feathers ruffled up. He, we all were packing out trash, and he gave us a hard time about that. Didn't
0: like the trash. He especially didn't like that we had camera equipment. No one likes that. No one likes Pelican cases. No person in aviation likes a Pelican case. So upon seeing the Pelican cases and asking what's in there and hearing that it was camera equipment. Except for our buddy John Varco, He didn't give a shit. No, but that, that dude's cool. He's next level. That dude's cool. He's a pro. This guy, upon learning what was in our Pelican cases says, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one last thing. This is something that's been brewing for a long time. I think people are going to need to start paying a little bit of attention, attention to it. There's two. There's two last things, but this is one of them. In this is going to have like this could have major ramifications. It's just something that people need to watch. Because it's going to go to the Supreme Court. Lord knows we've been hearing a lot about the Supreme Court lately. Um, meaning who's who is going to perhaps be sitting on it in the near future? But this has something to do with this. There's, there's a thing that that's going to that's Probably, probably going to be heard in the Supreme Court soon that'll have a big, major ramifications for big game. It's called the Herrera case. It started in 2014 when a member of the Crow tribe in Montana was out hunting with two other tribal members. And they went onto national forest land off of the Crow reservation out of season, with no licenses. They go on to the Bighorn National Forest in Wyoming. So they push across the state line into Wyoming, and they shoot four trophy-sized bull elk. No season, no licenses. Okay, A game warden uh, hears about this, does an investigation, and comes to issue citations to the tribal members. Two of the guys pled to their crime and presumably paid their fine or whatever happened to them. But one of them, Herrera, makes a claim that an 1868 treaty between the United States and the Crow tribe allowed him to hunt unoccupied, this is a quote from the treaty, quote, unoccupied lands of the United States without any sort of state or federal regulation." So he's convicted and his appeals with the Wyoming state court system is denied, but they keep pushing it and they, and they push it up to have it heard by the Supreme Court because this is something that's been waiting to be finally settled for a long time. Some people think it is settled. They think that Bureau of Land Management land, National Forest land is in fact not unclaimed. It's claimed. or you know, It's not unoccupied or it's not open and unclaimed, but it's occupied and claimed. And so if it's heard by the Supreme Court, um, it might change our definition of this stuff. And if Wyoming loses the case, so it's like Herrera v. Wyoming, if Wyoming loses this case, Wyoming and 10 other states, as well as the federal government, will lose the ability to enforce hunting and fishing laws on any tribal members pursuing wildlife off reservation. Because there are a handful of treaties that use similar language you could theoretically depending on how this goes you could tribal members could theoretically hunt within Yellowstone National Park so a lot of state uh state game managers are watching this very carefully and trying to understand like what the implications of this could be Ridge you cool
5: I'm cool man I did have a thought about breasts lobes no, the, the tribal thing. Okay. I'm not a subject matter expert, but lay it on me. It's more like a like a racism sort of issue. Because I remember in Michigan. Go on. There was always like, uh, growing up the um, tribe in like Manistee, I think it's the Ottawa. But they could fish salmon out of season. I remember like. A bunch of dudes growing up that we fished with were always like, God damn, Indians can fish and blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing that because tribal members in the Sioux can snag. Yeah. And then it it led to, like, they didn't just focus on that. They then, like, expanded and then just, like, became racist against Native Americans. Yeah. So, like, I think, I, I hearing that stuff, I'm always just, like, thinking about, like, where that'll go socially like even where management than, ends and racism begins yeah because i think i mean you gotta you do have to think about the animals if that's the the main issue but then like you know the random person who's like oh goddamn, india now gets to come in and shoot this elk out of season or whatever it's like then then it becomes less about like the issue and more about something that isn't really related yeah. but kind of related i understand what you're saying you know and
0: even in um Like, I look at that, so I look at the Herrera case and I damn sure know how I hope the, if it gets heard in the Supreme Court, I damn sure know what I hope the court says. Yeah. But in the back of my head, I do wonder, Mm -hmm. am I tipping that, like, what are my motivations for tipping the way I'm tipping? Yeah. Is it an us versus them? Yeah. Right? Or is it strictly that I'm viewing as what would be the implications for wildlife management? I feel, and everyone feels this way about themselves, I feel as though um, I'm not tipping that way out of some latent bigotry. Mm-hmm. I feel as though I'm tipping that way, but it's in the back of my head that is that a thing that's going on in my head? An us them.
5: Yeah. A wee they? Yeah. I think keeping that in check is important. Yeah, at at least if you're thinking about it, then I don't think it's an issue. If you're not thinking about it, then it's then you can get into the, the weeds on it. But if you are if you're conscious of like, oh, is this an us them over wildlife? If you're already thinking that, I think you can have a. I think you can make an objective decision. You know, what's your take on it, Yanni? Nothing.
3: Mm. <clears throat> well, I'm with you. You know, I certainly hope it's gonna. You know, they'll, they'll decide that it's it is occupied land and throw it out.
0: What would be helpful for me too, and no one could answer this because we just don't know where things are going down the line. What would be helpful for me, too, is to understand the scale of exploitation that we would be talking about. If we knew there was just like very minimal exploitation of the resource, I would feel differently. But you just don't know where things are going to go. And now and then we make rulings and things. um, We make rulings. Like look at the Wild Horse and Burrow Protection Act, right? We make a ruling and then wind up down the road being like, my goodness, I had no idea that it would cause this level, like at the time, I couldn't foresee the level of trouble. We right. would be like the Pandora's box that would be opened.
3: Well, yeah, and in that, in this case, it could be one individual that, you know, if they decided to exercise that right. And uh, I mean, think about it, if If you went away from elk and went to bighorn sheep, you go in and take out every possible, you know, regular hunters opportunity in one unit with a with a couple pulls of the trigger
0: yeah yeah you could someone could do an uh a relocation of a handful of bighorns and spend you know a few hundred thousand dollars on it and someone could decide well sweet yeah thanks (laughs)
5: thanks bro
0: (laughs) yeah no yeah no oversight no game regulation oversight
5: Hearing that, yeah, it does sound like you need to adjust treaties from the 1800s to now because well, that's the, a, the landscape you know. was very different, you know? Sure. That's like
0: one of Rogan's jokes. One of his his latest jokes would be like Thomas Jefferson coming back and being like, hold on a minute, you guys haven't changed any part of this? <laughs> <laughs> You guys just left it like this uh, where to begin? Where to begin?
3: I was thinking about that this morning. Oh, how to begin? Yeah what, do we go complete linear linear or do we choose a set the set the stage. choose a species
0: set the stage, Honest.
3: Uh, we're in Missouri visiting our fr- new friend Parker Hall
0: who's been on the show before.
3: Yep, the podcast program. We decided to come back to make a television program and to uh, try to catch big giant catfish.
0: Can, by, can, I, can I interrupt by, you, Matt? Yeah, sure. Speaking of programs, 16 brand new episodes are up on Netflix right now.
3: Yeah. Go watch them and tell all your friends to watch them. And tell your family to watch them. My grandmother, bless her heart, when she was live, she liked watching Meat Eater. She's not really into watching hunting or hunting. Didn't let me tell hunting stories, so tell everybody to watch it. It's good shit. Go on now. Um, Yeah, so we were trying to catch a big catfish by a method called bank polling, and then uh, go and shoot a few squirrels behind Parker's dog. That's correct. Those were our main activities while we were here. And... uh, Yeah, I was just having a hard time deciding whether I wanted to talk squirrels first or catfish first.
0: Let's set the table like this. I got a good way to set the table. Parker, explain why. Explain why it's good right now to go for flatheads and shitty right now to go for squirrels.
4: Well, in short order. (laughs) Winter's coming to Missouri, although it doesn't seem like it this week. Um,
3: No, no. chiggers are out. Chiggers are out,
4: (laughs) 90 degrees, but this time of year, those flatheads, uh, I think, really put on the feed sack, getting ready for that slow time where they're inactive, they're laying on the bottom, and they're just trying to wait for spring to get get through winter, so they really get active this time of year, and it's it makes for good fishing, good bank polling. The reason it's bad for squirrel hunting uh, with a dog, uh, it, it's good squirrel hunting without a dog right now. Because, you think like good? Yeah, this is the time. This is the mast is out. The squirrels are in the trees. Cutting nuts and and getting ready, same thing. Winter's coming, you know. The real active, a lot of white oak acre, and so this is a time you could slip around. And we talked about it before, you know, slipping through the trees and and seeing them and listening, and hearing them, and you can you can kill them with the dog. It's bad for that same reason. With the dog, the squirrels to come down out of the tree, get on the ground, mess around. The dog uses its nose to chase a squirrel back up a tree. The squirrel then hides, and you find it. Well, with leaves all over the canopy, so dense and thick, it's almost impossible to find the squirrels, almost. Uh, During the winter months, January, February, there's no leaves. The squirrels are much easier to find and much more um, able to be harvested. Yeah, and then it's bad for creeping through the
0: woods. It can almost get real bad for creeping through the woods. Almost impossible because they they they're so paranoid. Yeah. They're so paranoid because they're so exposed. I think to to avian predators when there's no leaves, that they're just paranoid. Yeah, they you can, almost they can see coming from a mile away.
4: Yeah, the 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 forest floor this time of year is year old leaves that have been. Rained on and decayed, and just inherently it's quieter. Uh, when all, this fall, when all the leaves come down, they're new, brittle man. It's crunch, crunch, crunch. They can hear you see you from great distance. Yeah, that's a good point,
0: man. I mean, I've known that, but never thought about it. Yeah. You're right. Right now, it's the quiet, like this time before the leaves start to fall, is the quietest the woods will get
4: because the leaves are the most decayed. Right. Makes for good slipping. Yeah.
3: Yeah, because even that's in, a great even, point. Man. Even in the spring, you know, you would think that through the winter and you know, but remember how crunchy it was when we were down here in Missouri turkey hunting?
0: Yeah, very crunchy. It was loud. It's really frustrating to hunt squirrels right as the leaves come down. Like, you remember like we were hunting Doug's place for squirrels, just like the only with the leaves down and new leaves down on the ground, you had to just go out and sit, get into a likely spot before dark and just sit. And, and just lean against tree and wait for one to come into your zone but then when you blouch it's like you know everybody knows that and it just starts over it's like really hard to have a great day we used to hunt them around christmas time and man it was tough hunting if
4: you got a squirrel you'd be doing good around that time of year and you've done it before this time of year particularly when they're cutting hickories you can shoot several out of one tree shoot them with a 22 or whatever and the others don't even hardly check up eating just shoot another one you know sometimes you can kill three or four out of one tree not like that in the winter no um
0: what next Giannis have you thought about how you want to dig in let's talk flatheads
2: linear that's how I vote you vote
0: linear Mm mm-hmm do you want to? Can you introduce yourself? Because you've never been on the show before.
2: Michael Linemuth, cameraman, first time on the show. First time
0: filming the show. And you're taking a cameraman's, uh, a show business sensibility to this discussion. You want linear? Yeah. Okay. That would mean that we start out with a really, I don't want to call it a bad, but a disappointing squirrel hunt. Absolutely, and that's going to open up one of the big questions I have: is what in the hell happened between that morning and last night? Is there
4: like an explanation? Well, there's infinite explanations that you go through in your head. I don't know one of them's correct. Weather changed. We'll get to that. Yeah, but let's start out with that day. So we're down in
0: we're down in Missouri, and we go to Mark Twain. You don't mind, like you're really, oh, because you're moving anyways. Yeah. You're moving anyways.
3: Plus we Mark, go. Mark Twain's a big ass forest.
0: <laughs> yes, huge. Mark Twain National Forest. Now anyone who's uh, ha- who's had the pleasure, the joy of reading uh, Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, uh, and then all Mark Twain's beautifully written accounts, nonfiction accounts of working on the river boats on the Missouri and Mississippi. Um know that Mark Twain, should know, that Mark Twain was born in Hannibal, raised in Hannibal, Missouri, was a river man. His name was Samuel Clements. His pen name was Mark Twain, and his pen name came from uh, when you're running riverboats on the river. In, in the old days, the river channel would just change constantly. It still does. It still shifts, but, I mean, it would shift wildly. Like the river was nothing like it, it was today because this is prior to when they channelized it and levied it and everything. Um, and it would just move. It was a meandering channel. And it was, running the river was very difficult in in paddle wheel boats. Um, they'd run aground all the time. And there'd be a guy whose job it was to stand up in front of the boat and he had a weighted line. So he's got a rope with markings that with knots tied in it and a weight on it. And as you're going through a treacherous spot, he's up there hucking that, weight out ahead of the boat. The weight hits the bottom and he counts the marks on the line to tell depth. And if I'm not mistaken, Yanni could check into this for us just to fact check me. If I'm not mistaken, they knotted the rope at three foot increments. Safe passage was six feet of water. And I believe that as he's up there yelling out the marks, the river, the the guy who's doing the depth soundings, Mark Twain, Mark Twain, was two marks which meant safe passage and so drawing upon that you know his, his drawing upon his heritage and time spent upon the river samuel clemens took the pen name mark twain so the mark twain national forest uh became that what do you about that
4: parker well, I, I thought it just occurred to me go uh, ahead but, <laughs> and maybe we'll get to it later uh Pounder over there, similar to the depth checking. <laughs>
0: hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. We'll definitely touch. Yeah. We'll definitely touch on Ridge Pounder's
5: uh, attempt at taking a depth sounding. <laughs> There's not a case of like what happens on the river stays on the river sort of thing. Uh,
0: so we go to Mark Twain National Forest. And you, because because you being a squirrel man and a river man, um, and you took, you, you grew up in Georgia. Yeah.
3: And it was real common to have. Can I make a correction? Oh, really? Yeah. You were just off. Bad? Just a, no, just a little bit. But it's not three feet. It's six for a fathom. And so actually safe passage was 12. Well, how the hell are you going to get anywhere? 12 feet? Really? Must not have been John Boats. Uh, it's a, no, they're, <laughs> <laughs> no, they're talking steam. steam stay, safe depth for the steamboat. 12 feet of water. So there's fathom soundings. Yep. Oh. And the second mark is mark number two, Mark Twain. Sing, sing it out. Mark Twain. Ha- is it, here it just says, half Twain, quarter Twain, Mark Twain. No shit. Fathom soundings. I
0: had no idea those boats drew that much water. Huh. Now you know. Do me another favor, man. I'm going to keep talking to Parker about being from Georgia and everybody has squirrel hounds and whatnot. Pull up Mark like two or three of Twain's dooziest quotes, please. Can do that. So there you are in Georgia. Everybody's got a squirrel dog.
4: I don't know that I would go as far as to say everybody, but more common than the other places I've lived.
0: If you want to know how legitimate Parker Hall is as, as a houndsman, he used to hunt coons with a man named Festus. <laughs> if that doesn't, if that doesn't establish some legitimacy, that's like out of a Jerry Clower story. Hunting coons with a man named Festus. Yeah, I've never met a Festus. I've
6: never heard of a Festus sure, just, with
0: overalls. No Festus yeah, I've and he wore, about. and he, yeah, also out of Jerry Clower is Festus wore overalls with no shirt beneath it. <laughs> and you know what? You said another thing. Didn't you tell me that? Yeah. And another thing you told me that was funny, because we're about the same age. Yeah. You're in your early 40s? mm mm-hmm. um, I guess I'm approaching mid now, 44. But you mentioned, like, when those mag lights came out. Yeah. There were, like, baseball bats. Now, yeah. people thought they were so... We thought... It was like... Uh, like it was it rev it was like a revolutionized being out at night, right? When those big, you'd put those three or four big D cell batteries into a mag light, and you thought you were <laughs> invincible, man. <laughs> now you can have a flashlight the size of your index finger that throws a bigger beam than that. But remember, like the one thing that everybody wanted, it was like for five years in a row, only thing anyone got for Christmas was a D cell mag light. Yeah, and they the just got light. longer and longer, man. You'd install the little holster
2: in your car.
0: Yep. Oh, I had that holster. Yeah. yeah, you could screw it into your dashboard truck, <laughs> a thing that held your light there. And they had that rubber ring that you could put on your waist belt. No. yeah. And it got longer to the point where <laughs> they were like baseball bats and policemen carried them around. Maglite was tearing it up. And then they got like something happened to them.
4: I don't know, man. They weighed like 16 pounds. and you Yeah, load everything up, and hey, you got the mag. Oh, yeah. Oh. Got the mag. <laughs> like go. running traps.
0: That, like everything yeah. was different when mag light came on the scene. Yeah, big. And you'd get in your stocking. Like you'd get that light, and your stocking would just be full of D-cell batteries. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a whole era, man. God, people got excited about those. So, um yeah. And tell the kind of dog you got a little bit about the dog's lineage, not that particular dog's lineage, but the breed, you know, and what occur in a feist and all that is. So
4: there's two main, I mean, there's a lot of different dogs that are tree squirrels. I mean, I've seen black labs, tree squirrels, but reliably, no, not reliably, You know, they're not bred to do that, but you'll get one every once in a while that'll, that'll tree a squirrel. But mostly the, the tree dogs are the, you know, a a blue, any of the, any of the coon hounds will tree squirrels. And some guys, so walker, blue tick, red bone. Yeah. They'll all tree squirrels. Mm -hmm. Why don't squirrel men use them? Because they're a lot rangier and they want to run and, and trail on the ground and put something up a tree. Now, a lot of squirrel men do use, um, some of those hounds, some of those bigger hounds. It just depends on what... Um, when you what, say
0: ranger, you mean they're running out too far?
4: Yeah, they run, want to run far. You know, the squirrel dogs generally stay a little closer, check back in with you. You know, those, the curs and the feists will go out, run a little circle. Um, they use their eyes uh, as well as their nose, a little bit more than a hound will. A hound is just nose to the ground kind of trail, up a tree, bark tree. So there's these, these dogs are um, uh, bred for small game. Hunting and chase, and uh, the one I have is is a cur called a treeing cur, um, and it's because of the size um, this particular this particular dog. Um, the feist dogs are a little bit smaller. Like um, you hear a lot uh, people like Jack Russells treeing squirrels. I think people have tried those. That's that's kind of like a feist size. These curs can get get pretty pretty big, you know. And it's a sh- it's a measurement at the shoulder. Measurement at the shoulder. To
0: distinguish a feist from a cur. Right. Feist being smallest and yours is like one size up from right, a feist. Right, right. So mine would be a, a small cur. And when, if someone goes to get one of
4: these, how do you go about getting one and how much does
0: it cost to get one?
4: The gentleman that I got my squirrel dog from charges $200. And he always has, and I think he probably always will, just because it's squirrel man honor code. He's not in it to make money. He's in it to produce high-quality squirrel dogs and give them to squirrel hunters. And uh, you know, this is life's passion. That's his calling. Just, that's what he does. He it's likes. Calling, it. And yeah. you were you were actually mentioning to me that you heard of somebody selling a squirrel dog for like twenty grand or something.
0: I heard that a squirrel dog has fetched twenty grand. Man, I would like to. But meet. I think. But this is this is the competition squirrel dog Uh. and i didn't verify this but i heard it from a from a very reliable source that there has been a case of a single squirrel dog selling for that but i think it's an anomaly right it would have to be it'd be like saying hey how much does a car cost and then you talk about how much a car costs you're like oh you can get you know most sedans or this and then some guys like oh one time a car sold for it right yeah that isn't like
4: it's not really relevant I kind of want to meet the man who paid $20,000 for a squirrel dog because that must be a heck of a good squirrel man.
0: It's like I, I got a <laughs> feeling he's doing something besides squirrel hunting. Yeah, I agree. I think he came into some came into some money somewhere along the way. So 200 bucks and this dude doesn't want you're saying too that this guy he won't like if you said i just like the looks of that dog i just want it for a house dog he's not interested he's not really
4: interested in that no he wants them in the hands of squirrel hunters absolutely he produces high quality squirrel dogs not saying i have a great dog but he he's had some good dogs with great lineage and he's known in in that part of the country for having really good squirrel dogs and his breed comes out of you were saying kind of comes out of alabama or his type of dog yeah alabama right Mm -hmm. that's where he is and and you know i i don't i don't want to speak to the man's lineage of where he got all of his dogs but i know some of it's out of that you know east tennessee western north carolina smoky mountain area um uh, and he has his own own line of squirrel dogs that he's worked hard to to develop
0: what uh grown up how old were you when you got your first squirrel dog
4: um i was I wasn't too young. I was maybe in high school, ninth, tenth grade, ninth grade maybe. To get tenth your own. grade maybe, Did yeah. Your dad and it was one? kind. No, it was kind of a. um It was, you know, we knew guys that that had squirrel dogs. We'd been hunting with them before, but we had a uh, somebody gave us a dog that was half cur, half feist, and we didn't do anything. We actually had him to as a hog dog. What's that mean? To oh, chase running, hogs. Running yeah. hogs, right. It was kind of just a, a mixed up old nasty looking dog and we'd take him hog hunting and turn him loose. And he run off and tree squirrels and all the other dogs. He's like, he wasn't interested in hogs. He wanted to tree squirrels. <laughs> He's a squirrel and, man. And my brother and I were like, Hey man, we're, we're into something. Um, you know, we'd always squirrel hunted, you know, from the time we were little bitty kids, uh, we'd always squirrel hunted hard, but it was early season hickories and slipping around this time of year, you know, but we got into the squirrel dog and then man, we it, it
5: took off. We've had one ever since. Did you have to train your dog, or is it like out of the box, ready to go? Somebody
4: else was asking me this question. And, you know, the different dog breeds are kind of bred to want to do their thing. Like a retriever, if you get a tennis ball in the yard and throw it and throw it and throw it. It wants to bring it back. back. Now, the difference between a, a yard dog that'll fetch a tennis ball and a good duck dog you know, day and night. So you work with them a little bit, but they, you know, the instinct to do that activity is in them.
0: When, when he's treated, when when a squirrel dog goes out and trees, a squirrel, you think that he normally needs to, that that squirrel has come down and hit the ground, right? Unless he just catches a glimpse of it or hears it or whatever. But typically he's nose of the ground and he finds where a squirrel has hit the ground. Is he like a rabbit beagle where he can run that trail back and forth and tell which direction the squirrel went?
4: Yes. And you can see when uh, the dog's working. Sometimes it'll go up a tree, look up it, maybe stay, maybe go off and check all the trees around and then come back and tree on that tree Um, and then identify that, that, that the squirrel's in there. Now we had several run and you could tell um, I was telling you honest, I said the squirrel's on the ground, and the dog. You can see that that high yipping, yip yip, yip 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 kind of like a beagle, and then up the tree the squirrel goes, and then you hear that tree bark, that repetitive, ar, 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 and then you know it's in the tree. And then there's a sound he makes when you know that he's seen the squirrel. Yeah, that's the <laughs> yeah, that's the squeal. You know, just <laughs> the, the, I cannot contain myself. Noise and it's different every time. You know, and you so I, and I can tell that the dog has seen the squirrel. It's it's the squeal bark, oh my god, I can't take it. Noise.
0: Yeah, it's funny because all the noises he makes, you know the noise that he makes for he he doesn't know what's going on, right? It's she, Ruby. yeah Man, since hunting with that dog, I've got that song stuck in my head, that old Kenny Rogers song. Ruby Don't Take Your Ruby. Love to Town. Yeah, Where it's a guy that uh went off and got sent off to Vietnam. And got paralyzed and came home and can't satisfy all of his woman's needs. And he understands the wants and needs of a woman her age. But she goes into town at night, and he's imploring her to not take her love into town. I remember. And he says, if I could move, I'd get my gun and I'd put her in the ground. mm mm-hmm. Just a hurtful song, man. <laughs> Had that song stuck in my head since hunting with that dog Ruby. Where was I going with that? I don't know. Oh, yeah. So you're out hunting, the dog's making all these noises, and it makes some noises where you just think that it it's just it's just something. It senses something's going on. There's something that goes on and you're listening, and I'm watching you listen and you're saying it's chasing one. There's sort of a non committal kind of, hey, this might be the tree. Right. There's a, this is the tree, and then there's, this is the tree, and not only that, but I have seen it in the tree. I have seen the
4: squirrel hurry, come now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's when you run to the woods. Right. And then, okay, this is the hard thing. You don't really know what's in the dog's head, but how can it tell? Like, if you picture, picture you're sitting in the woods watching squirrels, and a squirrel comes along comes down a tree, spirals down a tree, hits the ground, runs 50 yards and spirals up another tree. It surprises me that the dog can tell that the scent on one end of that is older than the scent on the other end of it. But unless what might help answer it is, what is the time stamp on a scent that will interest that dog? In the evening, is it running a
4: morning scent? No so it's deal it deals in fresh it deals in fresh fresher than like a hound would a hound some of those hounds can get take very old tracks the, the squirrel dogs work on fresher yeah yeah within you know i think within minutes i got you right because a lion
0: hound he'll go out and work an eight hour old track yeah. but a lion hound can't tell you what way the lion went yeah Is dealing in just faint residual odor and can't make a, and can't say like relative to 50 yards over there, this scent is newer here. And so when a lion hound's running a line, he might be running the wrong direction. You got
3: to find a track to verify the line of travel. Well, it makes sense because, you know, a squirrel's home range is, I don't know the actual answer to that, but I'm going to guess, you know, a couple hundred (laughs) square yards, right? And a lion's going, you know 10 miles
0: oh yeah i bet you know day in day out activities a squirrel uses an acre ground what would you think yeah i think so that's fair
4: probably moves according to see like seasonal movements of course yeah of course i always it's really interesting you mentioned that because given the opportunity i would want to be able to have the sense of smell that a dog has just to see what that's like like wow a deer ran through here and I know what that is or a squirrel ran up this tree or, you know, the sensory overload must be amazing for a dog to be able to pick that out. Uh,
0: yeah. To yeah. step into a dog's head running through the woods for, right. for a minute to be like, oh, so this is what it's experiencing. Yep. You can't, no. Because, like you know, we'll go out, you'll go out and you'll get a whiff. You'll be like, oh, it smells something rotten somewhere. Or I smell elk, like elk have been here. But really, you're just not you know, we got, we got our eyes and we got our ears. Right. And then you think that, that his nose is more important to him than those two things. It's really hard to picture seeing the world that way.
4: Yeah, it is. And if you watch anybody's dog, if you watch your dog, it could be you th- what you think asleep and watch its nose work. I mean, it senses things with his nose. I think a dog's nose or maybe many animals is their number one sense. Ours would be our eyes. I think, it's, I think it's olfactory Yeah, for animals. And your dog does
0: use its ears because it knows the word squirrel. It does. And
4: you need to be careful to not say squirrel around that dog or let it see a squirrel when driving down the road.
0: Yeah, we were driving to the hunt spot, and a squirrel ran out on the road, and you quickly reached back and blindfolded the dog with your hand <laughs> for fear that it would see that squirrel.
3: <laughs> what happens when well, she sees one? If you
4: will look at the dashboard of my truck you will see the claw marks and the nose slobber on the windshield from the inside and she barks loud you know you you hear her outside but inside the car it's the deafening sound <laughs> and it's repetitive and fast and yeah i can't make her be quiet
3: it's something i think that even i've only been on three or four dog squirrel hunts but like it takes some getting used to you know you, you like I, I could see my dad being annoyed and me having to be like look It's just like after a while, three, four days, it's just normal, right? That dog's just going there, and it's like a part of it. But at first, it's a little jarring to be in the woods with something that loud. Except at home,
4: when I'm at home, and there's a yard squirrel, and she goes to barking and treeing at it. I know that's what what she wants to do, and I have her, but it annoys me to the nth degree. It really does. It's like barking dogs, be quiet.
0: Mm-hmm. So, when we struck out from the little parking area there on Mark Twain National Forest.
3: um, y- Hold on. I got another question. Go ahead. So, at home, because I'm thinking about going squirrel dog hound for our first family But dog. you live two hours away from squirrel hunting. I know. But just now, because I was reading up about some cur stuff. And there's a bunch of different cur type dogs, and and there a lot of them are very versatile. Mm-hmm. You know, they can they can run cougar tracks and squirrels. They can defend your uh, family from uh, from what cougars, bears, um, and do that, <laughs> dude. I don't. You've Just been a watchdog. To, you've been to my house lately. You know, little kids run around, man. If they're a hundred yards away from the oh, house, oh yeah, like, like notify you. Sure, or yeah, give my kids a chance to freaking not get eaten like it's it is a slight possibility in my house i called in the bull moose on yanni's property yeah almost got your kids trampled. <laughs> or your kids thought they were gonna Dude, get my kids did
0: not like that man that bull came in hot and he'd seen that he'd seen video of me getting charged by a moose and that's what was running through his head <laughs> yeah he, he got nervous man
3: all right so but so here's my deal yeah i'm two hours away from good squirrel hunting but i've got a pile of pine squirrels mm. at right like 30 yards from my house right have you ever tried that yeah am i gonna be able to train my dog to say don't worry about those squirrels we want fox squirrels squirrels or gray squirrels it's a
4: delicate balance when the dog first starts treeing you're gonna you're gonna have to shoot those things down you can't tell it not to do that.
0: And you can eat them; they're not bad. Yeah, so they're edible. You're going to have. They're to. not great like a gray squirrel or fox squirrel. You're meat. saying they're super small. It's just small. It's like they're you know, yeah, bigger than a chipmunk, smaller. They sit right between a chipmunk and a gray squirrel. Mm. And people say they
3: taste like turpentine or piney. It's just a squirrel meat. So it's. I'm going to put a couple into the crock pot in the next week or two. Now, I'm going to bring back some. Um, I'll give you some notes. Dude, you some braise some them down.
0: Notes. Like what I've done with those things is I've just put them in a crock pot, braise them down, pick the meat, season the meat, put it on a taco, put it on a tortilla. Delicious. It's just as meat, yeah. right? It could be people, cat. It could be anything in there. <laughs> when you do it like that, it just tastes like meat. Yeah, it's just a taco. Yeah. No one in the world would come over, you serve that to them, they're going to be like, hmm, pine squirrel? <laughs> it just isn't,
4: you know. You could just take up pine squirrel hunting. Yeah, why not? That's you would be the first guy, I think, <laughs> to be like a tree pine squirrel. But here's the thing though, here's the problem
0: with that. Is it's not that helpful in pine where pine squirrels live and the kind of trees they live in, knowing what tree he in is in isn't very helpful. Oh. Unless the dog could pressure him into a tree that he didn't want to be in. Because if he goes to his preferred tree, the density of these trees. Mm. He goes up some big mature fir or whatever. Evergreens. The density, the the the, the 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 home trees are so big and so dense, and they go so high that's like it's not that helpful. Yeah. That's a good point. To know where he is up there. You'd need monoculars. Yeah, you need a chainsaw. <laughs> or like Jerry Clower, one of Jerry Clower's stories, the guy that has the rack, the monkey that he hunts with. And he sends the monkey up in the trees with a flashlight and a pistol. Maglite. If you, had, <laughs> if you had a monkey like that, you'd be in business. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigational app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use a fully functional GPS when you're out of service. We all know that's usually where the best part starts. It's intuitive to use and lets you find open trails anywhere you want to explore with just a tap on the map. Access detailed trail information like difficulty rating, duration, clearance level, open and closed date, trail photos, and more. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is, It allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. You just download it ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for. From family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want. And mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting auraframes.com. That's A U R A frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code Meat Eater because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best selling frame with that code. The code being Meat Eater. Auraframes.com, promo code Meat Eater. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. Um, you good on that? Yeah. Well, you know, here, here's another quick question as long as we're on the subject because my kids sorely want a dog and I sorely don't want them to have a dog. But if I do get one for them, I want it to serve my purposes as well. What are the chances that you'd have an ace... Squirrel slash cottontail dog,
4: very high. Ooh, the litter mate to Ruby is a really good cottontail and squirrel dog. Well, so something's, much so something's
0: he, got to sacrifice though,
4: right? There's like there's no way it's great at both, or is, is this dog great at both? the The gentleman who has this dog is a retired gentleman who hunts every day and those dogs like Giannis was saying are really versatile and any dog you get them in the field day after day after day and and they they pick up what what you're going after um I, I don't know it's the you know it's a good dog both I'd take it either way but what, you know, you know how a
0: beagle runs a rabbit like not that he runs a rabbit it's like a rabbit runs a loop yep when a rabbit's spooked he's gonna run a loop go out and he's gonna come back to his home his safe spot his home spot and that's how you hunt with a beagle, is the beagle starts to trail, and you just get to to the somewhere on the circumference of the loop and wait, because he's just going to do his loop and come by. Now, will a, will a squirrel dog
4: run that loop with him, or does he just kind of function as a flushing dog? From what I've seen, the squirrel dog is running around, and when it jumps a rabbit... It'll run it. It'll and run it, the loop. And it runs it a lot faster than a beagle wheel. And I think it's it may be head up just getting the getting the scent behind the rat. Yeah, they're it's slow
0: on, ass dogs. Short legs. Don't, right.
4: They don't do anything quick. Yeah. With with the with the Kerr or feist dog, it's generally a pretty quick loop.
0: Yeah. You know, we used to have a lab that we was our waterfowl duck dog, dog, and it was very good. I mean, this some bitch this dog would pull ducks out of it. 18 inches of water all the time man it'd pick up the scent on the surface and stick its head down there and find that thing it'd bring you ducks the other guys killed you'd go on the swamp you wouldn't even have fired a shot yet and the dog would be standing there with a duck yeah <laughs> so it was a great dog but we would take a cottontail hunting and she would just be a good flusher yeah because she knew the story she knew what was going on and would go into likely patches of cover that you didn't want to go into and she hunted close and would just kick up rabbits it would have never in a million years occurred to that dog chase it to chase it mm. just flushed and one time the one time i could think that it saw a rabbit and chased it my buddy shot the rabbit and later in the day i was wondering why my dog was bleeding out of her nose and i pinched her nose and squirted a shotgun pellet out of her nose but no one would fess up mm. so she was chasing it close enough at some point in time where she caught a stray pellet you know yeah but that's an interesting thing, man. If I could get one, the guy you know that has the one that does both, what would he sell that dog for?
4: Oh, man, I don't know that he'd sell it. How old is it? It's Ruby's littermate, three years. Oh, and how many years can you get out of one? Oh, on the squirrel dogs, they can get old. Um, man, you can hunt them for heck, twelve, thirteen, fourteen years. Seriously? Yeah, they start slowing down. No, any dog when it gets that age, slow down. But it'll tree them. Yeah.
0: So you can like your dog's three and it's already a crack hound. It's coming along. Dude, the dog She's coming along. When we're out in the woods, the dog spends more time barking up a tree than it does anything else. It finds squirrel after squirrel after squirrel after squirrel. Some days. So we we strike <laughs> we strike off we strike off from the parking spot. My first question to
4: you was So who is in charge? Right. So the dog we're somewhat in charge. The dog's hunting for us. We're not hunting for it. Um, so we can direct it in a direction, but I generally try to hunt into the wind because the dog naturally wants to work into the wind. Um, so I kind of think about that. And you might even park your truck accordingly or whatever. I, I do. Yeah. And just because she'll naturally drift that way. And so if you think about that, it makes for a little easier hunt. Then you can call her, and, and unlike a hound, those those smaller curs and feists, they'll, they'll respond to you calling them off. You know, like a big hound, sometimes you put them on a track, and, man, they're gone. You, you, the stopping point is who knows where. Oh, and then
0: you got, like, GPS collars right, and shit the on thing. them, and they're
4: in some other county, and you're driving around all night no. trying to find them. Right. Yeah. So those dogs will stay within earshot, and, and they're bred to come check back in with you every once in a while. Yeah,
0: your dog is very responsive to your whistle.
4: Right. Where right. you can call it off a tree. Yeah and and that's that's because oftentimes when you stay with the dog enough and you whistle to it it knows you want it and you're going to put it on something to do something oh. now, see, you know what i mean like uh we well, i guess we'll get to it but uh a squirrel that hit the ground and you go over there and it's not there you need to call the dog over to trail the squirrel up to see where it went you yep. know and and you know once it figures that out it'll come to you
0: so, what was going on that first morning we hunted? Because your dog must have treed a dozen times. Yeah. So, part
4: of it was the squirrel gods. And we right? got
0: one. It must have treed a dozen times or more. And we got one.
4: Yeah, but a lot. Of, some of that was a uh, roll of the dice, too. Because several of them were giving us a slip. We saw some more. We couldn't get shots at. I missed one. Uh, yeah, you missed one. And, and so... I don't know. Had we killed what we saw, we'd have had four or five. What did we end up with one the first day? First morning. We got one. And then last night, we go out for a
0: third of the time and get nine. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Did we have any getaway last night? The
0: very first first one got one.
3: Oh, that's right. Went into a hole. After we watched him for 20 minutes.
4: Yeah. Down the tree, right into a hole. And I told you, like, when they hit the ground running.
3: They know where they're going. They
4: are going to a spot. They're not blindly running. That squirrel beeline, he knows his turf, right? He knows his turf.
0: We had a bear biologist in one time who was talking about doing some research. What state was he doing that black bear research in? North Carolina. And he finds that black bears Tennessee, was it? Tennessee, that's right. Yeah. In this particular area where he was doing his work, black bears, den. 20 feet up in trees in hollow trees <laughs> which raises the question how many trees have a black bear sized cavity 20 feet up not many and how they ever get to where right how they ever get to knowing those cavities and I think was he saying that was typically in chestnuts it was a mast, I can't remember what, I had to go read this through. It was a mast, they typically dend in a mast producing tree. And the only thing you can think is that they're going up there. They're climbing into these things to harvest mast crops. And they're taking no. oh wow, there's a large cavity that I will come back to months from now and utilize as a denning site. Because how would you ever have that level of spatial awareness? It's like they're not operating on just like stupidly going through the woods. Climbing trees. Yeah, you're right. When a squirrel beelines off on the ground, he's like, I know a place that I can fit into. And this annoying ass thing behind me (laughs) can't fit into it. Right. And then he goes into into a hole with a two and a half inch, four inch diameter, orifice. That's not a word you get to use very much in a way like in this kind of conversation. Orifice. No. It's a nice word. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't used it in days.
2: So he goes into the (laughs) orifice.
0: Um, A lot of the squirrels we lost on our first day out would be the the dogs
4: treeing. Do you guys use bade or is that just something more for hounds? We use the word treeing. If it's up a tree, bade would indicate to me on the ground. Oh. Uh, More so than in a tree. Okay.
0: So there he is treed, and you go, and right away you look, and 15 feet up the tree, whatever, there's just like a squirrel-gnawed hole. (laughs) And then you know where that
4: squirrel went. You say they sometimes will pass the hole by. Sometimes they will. And you go, well, let's go. Oh, no, there he is, 15 feet above it, in a crotch, trying to hide. Like he passed it up. He
0: passed it up. But you know what I've seen in the past, hunting deer? I've seen a squirrel try to go in a hole, and then another squirrel come out and kick his ass. Right. Not his hole. Yeah. And I've seen a mink fight a squirrel through the squirrel's hole. Wow. Yep. The mink was trying to go in the hole to raid the young, and the squirrel is at the entrance to the hole fighting so voraciously that the mink is—you ever hear a mink screech? Yeah. The mink is screeching and they're dueling it out at the hole. So it could be that he goes in, gets his ass kicked, and then has to shoot up and be in a less than yeah
4: optimum position. <laughs> yeah. The other squirrel's like, no room at the end, bro. Right. <laughs> I wonder if that's the offspring of the squirrel that's in that hole. Oh. Like, that squirrel knows that hole's there, but... He's not welcome. Not welcome
6: anymore.
0: It'd be like the like you see the your your kid's car coming down the driveway with cops behind him. Right. <laughs> he has locked doors. <laughs> <laughs> so that happens. And then there's another thing that happens is you guys call it treed out. Jerry Clower calls it tapping the tree. Tapping the tree. But it'd be that the the squirrel dog is on the ground. And he's like a squirrel cross through here. He's going this way to this way. And he went up this tree. But the dog, unless he saw it or heard it, he has no way to know what the squirrel did after he went back into his arboreal environment. Exactly. Therein lies the problem. Therein lies a big problem because I noticed. You know how Yanni's really good at spotting squirrels? Well, let me tell you why. (laughs) It's, It's not that he's good at it. It's not that he's good at it. Here's what I figured out. Here's what I figured out. In his role as a producer, he know he understands his role as a producer and he's there observing and he's got camera guys doing their job. A squirrel bays up. They're the tree dog trees, squirrel dog trees. Ridge Pounders with his camera with me. Michael's with his camera with you not bleeding. Yep, not bleeding because he's not pushing through briars hard. Right. <laughs> Seth, have you said anything yet, Seth?
6: Uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> early. Real early.
0: Yeah. Podcast. You did say something earlier? Yeah, a little, little something. About how Idaho's too steep to get built out. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, your theory about how Idaho's the, the, these hunts. that That's fine, man. You can steer everybody you want to Idaho. I don't care. Yeah. So uh, Seth's got a camera. He's trying to look up in the treetops to find the squirrel. I look at what you're doing. And I watch your line of approach and I'm trying to do 180 off your line of approach. So if you imagine there's the tree and then you have a circle around the tree, you want one guy on each side of the tree, right? Because if you're both standing on one side of the tree, the squirrel's just going to squirt around and paste his body up against the other side of the tree and hide. And so you got to get one guy on each side to try to make it move. And then if he moves, everybody's got a chance to see him. So we're doing that. And I move into shotgun range and I get on my side and you're on your side, and we got the camera guys, and Yanni can't crowd the action, right? He needs to stay clear of the action. So in wondering, like, well, how is he spotting so many damn squirrels getting away? It's because he's getting back enough, right? Where he's not looking in the one tree that the dog smelled the squirrel going to. He's looking in the three or four trees in the cluster that the squirrel's actually in because the squirrel probably tapped the tree the tree so i later yesterday after wondering like why he was so on fire and feeling in, <laughs> and feeling inflamed with jealousy <laughs> thinking about maybe should giving him a dick Cheney in him <laughs> yeah. right just not cuz i'm so annoyed right i'm like you know what i'm going to stand back like this too and take in the big view because The dog knows the tree, but these trees, the spacing on them isn't great. Mm -mm -mm. And I think a lot of times, yeah, he went up and very smoothly just hid in the next tree. And so you can't just look in his tree. No. It's the grouping of trees. The periphery. Yeah. And that's how you pick off squirrels. Don't run into the crop. Don't run into the stump looking up. Right. Stand back and get the view. Right. Because... Another thing that would happen is, and, and you brought this up, the, the squirrel eventually get overwhelmed with anxiety. Yeah. Have to move. Like, can't take it anymore. It could be six, seven minutes into staring up there. Like, you're staring up there, and you do not see the squirrel. He's gone. And you're ready to wander off. And all of a sudden, Giannis is hooting and hollering about, there he goes. There he goes. Because the anxiety got to him. And He panicked.
3: Yeah, although I might be observing like more of the periphery and I might have less blinders on. You're still than, the eagle. Than, than, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> still the eagle. I think that, you know, we killed nine. Be careful not to be fooled by coincidence because, remember, there's like more than two sides to a tree. If you two are covering two angles, I'm going to go to the angle that you guys can't see. And the coincidence was that all of a sudden, you know, he popped up on that side and, you know, I saw him.
0: I don't know, man. You were spot a lot of damn squirrels, man. If we
3: did if there was a hundred and I had pulled ninety of them, then I okay, we'd have to, you know, say shirt. Sure. But I, I don't know. I, I think it was a market difference. You, you he <laughs> spotted uh, a lot of squirrels. Seth spotted some too. And he spotted
0: a lot of squirrels not in the tree we were looking in.
4: Right. That I, I learned a real lesson there, man. Mm-hmm. It's different this time of year because you're dealing with the canopy so much you know you can scan those that periphery of trees when there is no canopy and the leaves are down pretty easy you know and you you get to know where they are and the difference is now there's just because there's leaves they go to the same spots i noticed i'm like what are they, is it different but no they go to the same spots in the tree but you just can't pick them out well no cuz they, they they use different trees different ways a oh, hickory
0: Seth, explain what they do in a hickory, because we saw it twice last night, and we had to find them with binoculars. They were going all the way up to the tops, tippy 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 top. tops, because the leaves are so thick on a hickory. They'd climb that hickory till they're on the final twig, and lay up there in
6: the thick thick leaves. In an oak, it wouldn't work because you'd pick them off. Hmm. Yep. That one. That one tree we're about to give up on. Remember I said, I think he's in that hickory, and then you pulled out your glass and found him? Yep. Parker was I'd like all the way in the top. Yeah, I'd like you to speak on
0: that a little bit. Your, uh, your trans, can gonna, you speak about your transformation? <laughs>
4: <laughs> and I always thought it was like a, a Western big game hunter elitist thing. Like, to have binoculars. Like, <laughs> got my, my Binox on my special strap on my chest. <laughs> <laughs> and I think in my mind, like, I'll never do that, man um but <laughs> uh, hunting yesterday you said well, we were binoculars i'm like I binoculars. <laughs> you even i'll point I out scoffed. that you mocked me for having my
3: <laughs> and, well you'll notice that the first day we went out seth and i both well you didn't bring them the first day right nope you were the only one nope. steve that brought them and man like i was like yeah there's gonna be too many leaves everything we're gonna see is gonna be up close there's no reason for them and man it wasn't two squirrels into it i was kicking myself like
6: that was <laughs> oh i was i was kicking myself at the parking lot i wanted to wear them, but parker the way he was talking he i was so like bad. yeah i was like well okay. not, i don't want <laughs> i don't want to disappoint you. he's this like fella. a
0: playground bully i yeah. know like you get a new coat and the playground bully mocks you so bad you want to leave it in your locker and go out cold yeah and suffer on the playground see
6: for me this is this is my favorite time to like still hunt squirrels and you see them go up a tree and then you got your binoculars the fun part for me is finding them. I, feel, I really feel it like leaves. y'all are
4: kicking me when I'm down right now. I'm about to admit. No, because you can't. I'm about, I'm about to admit. <laughs> I'm going to use binoculars. Do you own some? No. Oh, can I send you some?
5: Sure. Are you going to get the strap? I was running. And t- I don't know about the strap. You got to no. do the harness, man. <laughs> You got it. Like the front strap. Yeah, Where oh, are you yeah. going to
4: keep them? Your pocket? I, mean, I don't know. You're going to have to give me like a lesson on what to do. But I will know, you know, we'd come up to a tree, and I'm surrounded, looking, looking, do will see it, and I'll, there's an army of dudes with binoculars, and somebody goes, <laughs> got <them."> I'm going, <laughs> what? you got them? Yeah, and so I was thinking about it last night. We killed nine last night, and I know I think four of those – were found with binoculars. The tail. Like a squirrel doesn't realize
0: he has a tail. Right. They don't do a good job... Concealing. They don't do enough to hide their tail. Or it's just a hard thing to hide.
4: Oftentimes, I pick out the tail hairs with yes. the, the light That's the thing. behind it. The just light coming the, the fuzz. It's off. It's off. From some, it yeah, because be.
0: he can pace his body against a thing and, and, and like a gray squirrel particularly... On most tree bark, oak, hickory, whatever. Insane. When he when he welds his body to to that bark, it's a hard thing to see, but the light will always filter through that tail in a in a very distinguishable fashion.
5: Yeah. Evolution never cleared that up for the squirrel.
0: I don't know what you know. They they need it for balance. Yeah, mm. the tail is really important for balance.
3: I mean, think about how they just run tree to tree. You know, hundred feet jumping. up, jumping. Yeah, and, I'd like to talk to a physiologist about what all a
0: squirrel gets out of the tail. And I imagine also there's something going on with um, signaling, perhaps. Mm-hmm. if you ever watch a squirrel piss in a tree? Yeah, they move their tail a lot. When they're barking at you, which heavily hunted squirrels seem to not bark at you. <laughs> You go out like opening day, squirrels will bark at you in the woods. Later in the year, when all those squirrels are gone, the ones that are alive don't bark. No. But when he's barking, he's doing that. He gets in that position where he's, he's like using his tail as like an alert thing. Mm-hmm. And I think he's cluing other squirrels in. I heard a theory about like why does a white-tailed deer flag? Why does he put his flag up when he's running? And we'll never know. These are the kind of questions you like. You can't test and know. But, but I... A person that had a theory about it that when a whitetail runs away and he lifts that big brush up, you follow it like it it's almost like you got it. You know, and so you like, why would he do that? Because it's so easy to see where it's going. But when he runs and stops and lays it down, the thing that you were paying attention to, like what you I what you eye adjusted to, all of a sudden vanishes. And it helps the deer perhaps mm, slip away. Helps the deer switch away. Like you see that thing and then that thing goes away. And you're focused on that and not that. I think what you can wind up saying about it isn't that that's why he does it, but that's definitely a thing that if you pay attention to it and watch it, that's a thing that happens that would be advantageous to the deer. But it could also be that it's, that it's a, a display for other deer. Other deer see that and they know that there's trouble. There's an, there's an altruistic quality to it I'd buy that so what else happened between how we went out tree the same number of squirrels roughly the same number of squirrels but got one versus nine do they do they is it an evening morning thing
4: well um I generally like to hunt them in the evening um, and I think it helps with the scent I think when that cooler air starts coming down from the from the night it helps with the with scent a little bit better the morning and this is just all squirrel man theory this does i don't know if this is right or wrong this is just what i've observed this time of year they don't come out of the trees they don't really need to they're up there and eating white oaks and whatever mass they can and so they if they do come down it's for very short periods of time and then right back up um in the evening, they've had their fill. Then they're going to burying and getting ready for the for the winter time. And they're down on the ground, getting to drink of water, you know, cashing nuts, digging. And I think they're on the forest floor a little bit, a little bit more in the afternoon. The morning hunts always seem to be hinky. You know, it's like that's weird. Or you got a runner, or we're covering a great distance and we're not putting many many squirrels up. I, it's over time. It's just I'd rather hunt the evening.
3: No matter the time of year.
4: No matter the time of year. Right. No matter the time of year. Now, the first day we went squirrel hunting, it was 90 degrees. Um, The dog's having a hard time. Um, Scent probably is not as fresh as when we went went yesterday. And it was damp. It had rained the night before. There's a lot more humidity in the air. Um, It was in the evening. I think the squirrel the squirrels were down and the dog could smell them probably a little bit better. I don't know why they hailed or we found them. Maybe it's because of the binoculars. A lot of knockers, we, it, man. Yeah. A um, lot of knockers. And we did have a, a couple multi uh squirrel trees, which helps. Yeah, we shot three out of one tree. Right that helps that adds not that
3: that adds numbers it does help too that like mike and chris are they they were staring through their cameras you know really working but seth and i uh definitely i mean we doubled up basically eyes you guys are you know each have an extra pair of eyes to find these squirrels that helps a lot yeah but you were there in the morning oh yeah i was oh. making a general <clears throat> general statement that yep. uh okay
0: one last squirrel question for you okay what are your favorite ways to uh, prepare the squirrels you get you're saying you eat about 200
4: a year your family eats about 200 a year
0: yeah how do you guys like to do them and how did you like to do them when you were a kid and has it changed over time
4: so when I was a kid it was squirrel and gravy over rice and squirrel and gravy over mashed potatoes or fried squirrel very little deviation um, f- when I was a kid we, we barbecued some on a grill and those sorts of things but can you, not-
3: can you take us through a Brief uh, recipe of squirrel gravy, how that's made. My mom made squirrel
4: gravy, and I I know this is – I'm going to just talk about something else. One time I remember going deer hunting, um, and my dad got me – I don't know if it was an old-timer thing, but my dad would make me get up at like 3 or 4 in the morning sit in the tree for like an hour before it got light, you know, like get in there before the deer. And I I think it was low deer – numbers back then and they were just starting to come on and those guys thought you had to be there way before light and i remember getting up at like three in the morning and my dad made some weak old warmed up some weak old squirrel and gravy and put it over grits which was a, a southern food and I remember it had a little hair in it and i just I man, I'll <laughs> never forget that. My brother and I are like three thirty in the morning, week old squirrel gravy and, and grits. I'm like, oh, man, what about a pop tart or something? <laughs> <laughs> but we ate that. Uh, but no, it's just uh, it's just like any other gravy you would would cook. You know, how do you cook
3: the squirrel before it gets into the gravy?
4: So you if you fried squirrel, or you can crock pot squirrel. Either way, and just use the. Use the a little bit of grease drippings or whatever from that and make your gravy, and then you can put it back on it. Oftentimes in a cast iron skillet, and that'll go in the. So you're picking the meat or not picking the meat? At this at this point in my squirrel eating career as a kid, it was not picking the meat. It was quarters, you know, dipped out quarters on rice with gravy, with gravy, and then you the had to potatoes. pick it up, and then you picked it up and spit out the it. Spit, it spit out the, the, shot, the shot, spit out the bone and the and hair, spit out shot bone and hair. All of it. And you pick it now. I pick it now. I swore to myself, I will not do this to my children. Not that I didn't like it, but uh, I still eat it, and I still – it's a nice squirrel dish, man. Like, my mouth waters for it. It's, to me, one of the best meats in the woods. And so now uh, I do a variety of things. Um, I messed up the first time I, I – uh, I was trying to press my wife. I killed a squirrel and I gutted it and <clears throat> just had it splayed out like uh, it, uh, like a squirrel would be on a spit.
0: Yeah, so like, like uh, the whole like thing done in Argentina and they mount them on those. uh exactly. assado, Yeah.
4: Yeah, I did that and I, I crucifixes. Uh, they mount
0: them on, man.
4: I made that for my wife and I presented her in very professional fashion, in my opinion, as a squirrel man. a splayed. Delectable squirrel. I picked a young one too. I didn't give her a great big old. This when you were, is this when
0: you were courting her. That's
4: when I was courting her. Yeah, it was a prize. She's
0: not a squirrel man.
4: Nah. No. She a river man. Nah. No. Okay. <laughs> nah. No. She's none of the above. <laughs> so I present her with this squirrel, and man, that went over like a turd in a punch bowl. It was not <laughs> good.
3: And so <laughs> it was just too much. It
4: was too much. She I mean, just the look on her face was such that I, it went into my mind. Mm, I'm going to have to change this up a little bit. And for years she wouldn't eat it. And just because of, not because of the flavor of the squirrel or that it was a squirrel, just the presentation went into her mind every, like you just served me a, a rat. Um But now I changed it up and it's mostly picked. Um, and the way that I've been doing it lately, and I was telling Giannis about it, the way I'm so I'm so proud of is I've been crock potting it with some spices, uh, garlic, picking it, um, and rolling it up in a croissant with either cream cheese or cheddar cheese or peppers, onions, jalapenos, which whatever little fixings I, I want. I want to
3: clarify too, though the crockpot you're saying like not completely covered in liquid in the crockpot.
4: I put no liquid in the squirrels um, that I cooked last night. You, you can't just put a squirrel in a
0: crock pot and turn the crock pot on.
4: That's what I was saying. I'm sure you can. You
0: said otherwise what? it's boiling
4: yeah. it. I put a little bit, I, I hit it with a little bit of um, oil in there, so and you, that's it. So there's really? a,
3: there's enough moisture in the squirrel. In, it'll in the squirrel. Down.
4: Yeah, and it'll, so those, I threw those nine squirrels in there, and there was two inches of moisture in, this morning, and I just pulled the bones right out. You got onions in there. Um, Yeah, onions. You throw in onions in there and those sorts of things. doesn't burn. Otherwise, it's boiling it, you know, if you put liquid in there.
0: That's a good point, man. But, wow, it's just, you know, we would fry them. My my, my mom would do, um, she would brown, oftentimes, this is one of the ways I like it the most, sometimes we just put them in a deep fryer. But also, my mom would brown them in oil dust them in a seasoned flour, brown them in oil, then put them on a sheet pan Mm. and put them in the oven at 300 degrees. Oh. And that makes, like, it's like we would call it, and it's different because other people use different things. We would call it chicken fried squirrel, even though, like, chicken fried steak, because that's how my mom would, if my mom went out and bought chicken, chicken thighs, she would brown them in oil and finish them in the oven. So she would just do squirrels the same way. man, sometimes it was just like perfect. Yeah. On the bone, browned real nice, and then baked at that low heat to tenderize them a little bit. It yeah. was pretty good. Hmm. But when you say you roll it, uh, I want to get back to this croissant thing. You roll it, what do you mean roll it in a croissant? And then bake the croissant? Right, just
4: like you're baking oh, croissant. Oh, do you mean you buy those little triangle croissants? Right, exactly. Oh, and roll it I in sp- there. Yeah, I spread the triangle, and then I put all my fixing like a taco, right? Everything that I want. And also, I've been putting some uh, thyme in there lately, like a sprig of thyme, which I really like. And I roll that thing up, fold it up nice, little a pouch of squirrel meat with everything else, bake it, and then the croissant bakes into a itself and all it's that's hot, in there that. a little hot pot it's like a thinking man's hot pocket and the and the and i knew i was onto this when my kids started fighting each other over those things the last one like no give it to me and and my wife's eating them and going that's good and old squirrel man's going oh i'm onto something here
0: <laughs> yeah but it's hard to burn through 200 squirrels shoving them inside croissants because you're just not getting a lot
4: of bulk in there no no we gumbo etouffee we fry them you we, make ATF and gumbo. Yeah, we and, and we we yeah, you know, yeah we make all that stuff. You know, and it's just the meat we use as opposed to chicken. For us, it's squirrel. And your
0: wife likes to cook with game. Obviously, she does. The one conversation I had with your wife when I met her, she was going home to make uh, fish stew, coconut curry, fish stew, and I asked her what kind of fish, and she said catfish.
4: Was there any other kind? No.
0: And, she, and I asked her if she was going to put it in cooked or put it in raw. She said, I put it in raw and cook it in the soup broth. Yeah. And she said that you don't like it spicy. I love she it she said spicy. that she only
4: keeps you around because you're cute. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true.
3: <laughs> Do you have a name for this recipe
4: yet? No, I don't. We'll have to come up with one.
0: Yeah. Squirrel croissant.
4: <clears throat> yeah. Squirrel
0: sant. Squirrel sant. Squirrel sant. Squirrel pocket. You haven't had good luck. Uh, How do you freeze your squirrels?
4: I freeze them um, with the old milk jug water. And then most importantly, after you cut the top off the milk jug, fill it up with water, freeze it. And being scolded from a a child by my dad, you have to then go back and make sure that there's none exposed on the top of the ice. Man, that stuff freezer burns bad. Right. And so you have to hit it with another layer of water. Yep. And so that's how I freeze them.
0: But you know what I think you ought to reconsider is, just for freezer management and capacity issues,
4: squirrels vacuum, they vacuum bag beautifully. With the bones? Yeah, yeah man. Man, you are busting me about having cheap bags. Maybe that's my thing. I got sorry bags, because I can't do it.
0: <laughs> Listen, I used to not like... Back when everybody was running those... um. Right when vacuum sealers came out, and it was like infomercial era and shit for like homeowner vacuum sealers, they came out with a lot of bad vacuum sealers and bad bags. I'm sure there's a variety of good ones out there, but I have one of these things. It's it's big, but it's like the it's like the Weston Pro Series 2300. It's big. I mean, you could put a Nerf football and vac the air out of a Nerf football with one of these things and make it look like a flat pancake. But I have that, and I use their bags, which is like like a heavier gauge bag. And you can put them in there, lay them out in there, suck it out, and they just, it's like nothing bad happens to them. And squirrel freezer burns bad. Yeah, like a squirrel in a Ziploc bag is a disaster. Doesn't last long. It's a lot of surface area. Like per, it's a lot of surface area per volume. If you when you cut them though, you know how I was getting on you about how I think your cuts too high when you cut his legs off. Yep. That's one thing that can puncture the bags is if you have jaggedy bones. But if you cut at the joint, so you have nice rounded bones, you can put a whole bunch of quarters in there or splay them out. Like you're talking about with your presentation with your wife, you can pack them in there. I've even packed them in there where they're all spooning, like the squirrels are spooned right. out, yeah, four or five wide, whole, and vacuum them in there. And it's like a page in a book, like a nice flat package full of squirrels, and you could stack a thousand of them in your freezer. Because I used to do that jug of water thing, and man, you just wind up with a freezer full of jugs. Yeah, you do. So when you're sc- and look, can I finish? Yeah. Selling you on this? You put that thing in cold water. You take the vac bag out of your freezer and pour a mixing bowl of cold tap water and lay that vac bag in there, and that shit is ready to eat in forty five minutes. You ready, gotta get a ready blow- to cook. Ready to cook? Yeah. Sorry, it's ready. It's thawed. Yeah. You gotta get a blowtorch out when you want to get them out of a milk jug the day before or that morning to thaw but or you burn through gallons of water by setting it under the thing and turning the water on to run over it i'm telling you man it's like just like you got to get on binoculars and i'm not coming at you like like you've got you're a better outdoorsman than me no way but you're wrong about knockers and you're wrong about (laughs) <laughs> you're, you're, you've adjusted on, but I, you're wrong about back bags. I really like the idea of vac bags. For, I, fl- for flatheads, for anything, you need to invest in a real vac
4: sealer and some good damn bags. And that's my problem. I got the whatever when they first came out. But I, I want to talk a little bit about the joint cut on the squirrel. Please. So are you So you're taking the time when you have 10 squirrels lined up on the back of a tailgate and you have your cutters out. You're taking the time to find that little joint with your fingers and then game shearing and get it off or are you skinning and then visibly cutting. There because you, you have to hit it exactly no, right. no, you don't. No, you don't.
0: You need to move your cut 3 sixteenths of an inch toward the toenails. And I'm going to hit it every time. You're going to hit it where you wind up with a nice rounded product. Picture that you went down and bought a chicken drumstick with a jaggedy-ass bone sticking out the end of it. they—they they, It's a nice joint. Nice, round joint. I get the idea. I just don't know about speed. But and you know, I your cuts are it. nice, but you got really nice cutters. That's important. I noticed that you don't use game shears because your cutters
4: are better than game shears. I do not use game shears. I use tin snips.
0: Yeah, man. That's the way to go. Yeah. Why do they even make game shears? I don't know. I don't own a pair. Your 10 tin snips. Yeah. My game shears... It's like they kind of crack. You gotta then get in there with a knife. Yeah. Your things are nice. That's a hot tip. You want to talk about hot tips? Ten snips.
4: Ten snips. You had some Irwins. Is that where they were? I got. I have several different ones. I go in the Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever the hardware store. Hit me with the ten snips. <laughs> 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 that's what
0: you. That's what you want in your stock. That's right. Okay, so you need some binos and a <clears throat> and a vac sealer. I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna work no i'm gonna work on it for you i'm gonna work on it for you man i'm gonna work up where i owe you, oh, you one so i'm gonna work on it everybody
3: cool on squirrels ready to move on Ridge? Some yeah unless, unless we want to talk about the uh the byproducts that we're dealing with from our squirrels. oh i
0: would like to speak on that mm.
3: Ooh. uh
0: you're from the south south you're from georgia Correct. you keep calling this the midwest Right, we all feel like we're in the south. If you get out of a boat and get scared by an armadillo, you're in the south. <laughs> <laughs> they're relatively new to this part of the country. That's what Seth was saying. Seth was saying armadillos are headed north, and they're taking the south with them. <laughs> I feel like we're in everything about it, including the the the. I was saying I had 300 chigger bites, but I kind of did like a little count. I have 200 chigger bites around
4: my waistline and my groin, my groinal area. You had to do like a a fisheries count where you'd count like one sector. That's what I did. And then multiply that out because you have so many. I
0: count bait that way and I count chigger bites that way where I like look at a sample size area, (laughs) right? Like you make like a six-packy thing with your abdomen and count how many. Make a little plot. Like you lean over and clench, count how many bites around one. one of the beer cans on a six-pack and then, and then go like, okay, there's 12 there and then start moving around your crotch and groin and scroll area and, and add them all up and I feel like I have two hundo. Yanni's probably got a good 150.
4: Chiggers. So I don't think, I, I, I don't really, I can speak on this but I don't really want to because listening to you guys Why? talk about this is just been a great experience for me <laughs> <laughs> like just our bafflement yeah yeah and uh, on the google and researching and man i've learned a lot <laughs> about chiggers that i didn't know like some of the wives tales that i heard that aren't aren't true and uh yeah, you guys are researching god what are these things all over me it's been interesting i mean i i don't know that i've seen worse cases of chiggers well i think we made some real rookie mistakes man like not, I was just, it was a
0: hot day. So I had just a loose t-shirt, no tuck in, no bug spray around my mid drift and wading around in that tall grass. Right. Yeah. It was like when I first moved to an area they had a lot of deer ticks and a lot of Lyme disease. I didn't do any of the things that everybody that lives there is like, they know what to do. Hmm. Tuck your pants into your socks, use deep. I didn't do any of that junk. I didn't do tick checks. Right. And I paid the price. Right. So here, it just happened to be that my one, if I had had gotten a dozen bites, I'd be like, huh, you know, next time. But just to get so overwhelmed by them, then I've been in areas that obviously have them before, but I've never, I've really never experienced just a real hard hit from chiggers. (laughs) I'll fess up, I'll fess up to the listeners. I couldn't sleep and I couldn't concentrate and I had to go down and I went down to a med stop and got around to steroids.
4: Is that bad. It's bad. You got you guys got it bad, and it's it's luck of the draw too because you just like walked through them, man. But I did spray, and I remember offering you guys. Some I know, spray. but we I all,
3: I went around and hit everybody's ankles. I just um, put a little squirt at my ankles. We were thinking about seed ticks, we weren't thinking chiggers.
4: Man, I use it like breath freshener, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs>
3: you, all over. Yeah, so yeah. off does uh, prevent chiggers? Yeah,
0: says so on the can. Oh. Because what well, we're like, what we deal with a lot with in the northern air, er, in northern states in the summer, is no seams gnats, white socks. For that stuff, I just carry a little teeny bottle of a hundred percent DEET or fifty percent DEET, and you get like behind your ears and a couple places they like to hit. But it's not like like I was when I went out last night. I had so much of that junk on I me; mean, my clothes were wet. Yeah, good. I hosed down. <laughs>
3: You didn't pick up any more
4: shakers. Oh
0: man, good on squirrels. It's itchy.
3: Yeah, what's interesting is that uh, Mike, Seth, Park. Well, Parker sprayed down properly.
2: We didn't spray down the first
3: morning. Yeah, I went around and hit your ankles.
2: I didn't. You didn't notice.
0: even notice. <laughs> but it might be that they don't. But you know how like some people are more susceptible to mosquitoes
6: and stuff. It yeah. might be that I'm just like there's something about. I was thinking about it because like I was I was on like behind Giannis the whole time I was wearing that pack with a hip belt I didn't have my shirt tucked in but I had that hip belt mm-hmm. tight around my waistline Yep, the whole time which might have helped it's an, it's a micro not it's not microscopic but you're not going to notice it readily.
0: they're very very small yeah and it's an, it's an lar it's a larval stage of some arachnid and uh they they hang out in clusters and you pass through a cluster and get them on there. And they latch on. They'll latch on for four hours. They have an enzyme. <clears throat> they secrete an enzyme onto you, which liquefies your skin cells, and they lap that stuff up. And that the residue from that little activity causes intense itching and inflammation. Huh? Sons of bitches, man! Little devil. But you started itching the night of. I was feeling it when we were rigging flathead tackle. I kept being like looking, lifting my shirt up and probably causing more trouble for myself. Lifting my shirt up, trying to be like,
6: why do I feel like something's on me? At first, everyone thought it was poison ivy because we had hit that that field. That was just a sea of poison ivy. (laughs) And Mike threw his headphones down in it.
2: Mm, and that's when you told me. Yeah, yeah. you walked
6: by and said and I would I p- watch your headphones are laying in poison <laughs> ivy. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm waiting for
0: that. I, it'd be here by now. Yeah, I it'd, think so. It'd be here by now. If we, I, I, think it's, I think it's dying down and it's not oily right now. But it took yeah. two days for the chiggers for you? Yeah. But if you look online, different people, it could take. It could be hours or a day or two days later for the chigger bites to emerge. Poison ivy has a really nasty, like, it's that's what's so kind of... Uh, that's just so kind of um, nasty about poison ivy is that that delay where you, like you, you just have like this don't know you
5: get hit by a horsefly fuck you know it poison ivy gets you man it's like secrety how long like if you go walking through poison ivy and it's on your boots and like the cuff of your pants how long is it like if you're like untie your boots that day. And then the next morning, put your boots back on and tie Like, should you be washing your hands again oh, the next yeah. day?
0: Yeah, next that's, day? that's when you get, like... But there's different kinds of poison ivy infections. When you get, like... You get back from somewhere, and all of a sudden, you get some poison ivy bubble stripes on your knuckles and stuff. I think you're dealing with that kind of junk. Mm. But I don't think... Like, the direct exposure of when you're getting, like... Plant-to-skin Plant-to-skin leaves these marks where you can just almost see... The, the, the impact of it, but I do think that you do get it on your boots then later and if you get into it real bad and you're real set you're supposed to take rubbing alcohol and wipe down your wipe down your stuff, wash your clothes in hot water but I've had a lot of that where like you get it around your knuckles and the inside of your arm then like a week later you get a couple more spots mm. and I think that you're getting some residual oil transfer, but it's nothing like like senior skip day when I was in high school it's a tradition in my high school to, to everyone skip school on senior. Skip day and you'd go uh canoe the White River. Um I was telling this story the other day. Uh senior skip day I shimmied up a tree because you climb trees and also jump into the river. I shimmied up a tree that had poison ivy vines on it. And I wound up going to uh I wound up having to go to the doctor about that. That was bad. That and burning it. Burning it in a brush pile can make you really sick. Because you're inhaling it? Oh. That hurts. We good on squirrels? We're good. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigational app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use a fully functional GPS when you're out of service. We all know that's usually where the best part starts. It's intuitive to use and lets you find open trails anywhere you want to explore with just a tap on the map. Access detailed trail information like difficulty rating, duration, clearance level, open and closed date, trail photos, and more. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is, It allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. You just download it ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want. And mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting auraframes.com. That's A U R A frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code Meat Eater because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best selling frame with that code. The code being Meat Eater. Auraframes.com, promo code Meat Eater. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide Armory's products are military and professionally formulated and approved, featuring a groundbreaking graphene-infused ceramic coating that is safe for all surfaces, providing unmatched protection for any firearm. Discover a new standard in gun maintenance. Order your advanced cleaning kits today at RiptideArmory.com. Riptide Armory. Relentless performance for your firearms. Flatheads.
4: Uh, Explain poke pulling, what you call bank pulling. It's just like limb lining, if you know what limb lining is. Hell, explain limb lining. We find a limb overhanging a likely place where a catfish would be that's somewhat limber. Enough to hang a line off of. And that hangs in the water with a bait on it. The catfish grabs it. And then that limb acts like a fishing rod with some um you know some resistance when it pulls down, it pulls back against the fish and and holds it on on the hook. Um bank polling is similar to that in as much as you use a 10 or 12-foot fiberglass rod. Poked or stuck into the bank of the side of the river with your line then on it. And that big fiberglass rod acts like uh, a fishing rod or gives that resistance. The difference between the two is the fiberglass rods you can put where you want to, where a likely place a fish would be. Unlike limb lining, you're just you're kind of at the mercy of where a limb would be. Um, and so these, we try to pick the best likely spots, stick them in with a bait. Um, a live bait when you're targeting flatheads, and, man, go from there. Talk about the bait a little bit first. The bait's the issue. <laughs> <laughs> the bait's always the issue. So we ran, oh, 80 or so hooks, and to go for flathead catfish like we were going, big baits are better, um, and so you need 80 big baits and a big bait a big nice bait would be like a hand size bluegill or a carp minnow or something you know four to six to eight or ten even 12 inches long you need 80 of those to be successful to be successful and you're you're allowed to run 33 hooks per person per person 33 hooks so we were running three of us were running 80 or so we weren't quite there but you know, you get bait, and after you have a, a hundred and fifty baits, you think, "Man, you have bait for days," but you don't. And you got to come back and go for bait. And I'm indiscriminate bait collector, and will collect bait in any way, shape, or form that I can. And we, we ran into that problem; where we ran out of bait. And you cast net for bait? I cast net for bait. And the uh, I, you can man, you can get it any way you can. You could seine it. You could catch it on a hook and bobber uh however you can get it and you guys you use hoop, like hoop traps for bait too right hoop nets you no know, yeah little little ones in the creek or something like that you know going for carp shed
3: we, have, we haven't had
4: any luck with the little hoops though actually would you, would you ever set them fish? in the
0: in the current channels and they don't keep swim up in there no but you try it that way yeah
4: little fish traps we've just had very Little luck. What's the the diameter on your hoop traps? The ones we only have one that we tried, and it's a I bet it's a 18 incher. Yeah. My brother has hoop traps. He lives in an area where we allowed to hoop
0: net. Yeah. For rough fish. And they used to bait their hoop nets, but then he thinks that the bait doesn't matter. He just puts them in lines of travel. Like if you got like a, let's say you got like a little gravel, let's say you got a stream that's got the shallow end, and you got like a little gravel trough up against the up with a deep cut bank and a little gravel trough down in there. He'll lay that hoop trap obviously opening up toward the downstream side, and he pulls up some hauls of suckers in that thing.
4: Yeah. I don't have it figured Just out. Just catching
0: them on their path. But he's got – but these are huge. Right. No, these are – the one I have is a little bitty. These easy. are like 30-inch hoops, I think. Yeah. It's mostly cast netting. Yep. Yep. So you go out and cast that a bunch of bait. You can't use a largemouth as
4: bait. Cannot use game fish as bait. No, but you like shad, carp. I like shad, but they're tough to keep alive. Um, if we can keep them aerated, I like those. They're they're a good size, a big shad, hand sized shad, um, carp, which are super tough. Bluegill, which I think personally, everything in the river likes a bluegill. I think it's like flathead candy, but they're not as tough as the like a carp minnow mm-hmm. would be. And now explain a likely place. For flatheads this is you know this is a, a great debate but uh generally behind um a blow down or some sort of cover in the river you know um a blow down uh, a wing wall or dike rocks those places where fast water goes to slow water like an, big eddy, an eddy yeah big an ambush um spot you know it would be like in a any other stream or creek where the fish would be, you would think in those eddies and pools, um, the flatheads would frequent with, with those areas. That's what's, and that's what's good about the bank pole because there's not a whole lot of limbs that hang over like the Missouri River where we were. I mean, it's like trees falling down, but there's no big limbs that hang over those places. That would be, I mean, a few, but not enough to be able to do what you want to do, particularly when we're going for, we, we like to catch big flatheads. And that's kind of our, it's kind of our little thing you know catching giants yeah big ones at what point in your mind is a flathead big 30 pounds or, or above <laughs> that's a nice flathead 30 plus pounds now i like all of them i mean i think the best eaten fish in the in the rivers probably a three pound flathead but i just like those big ones man
0: oh it's impressive
4: they are i mean we caught some doozies yeah we caught some nice ones
0: So you go up and down the river and you got all your, I imagine the old days, like when I was introduced to bank polling and it was described to me as poke polling on the Ohio river, these guys were using hand cut limbs. Basically you'd go out like with a machete and cut like what I would think of as muskrat trap and stakes, like big long stakes and run those into the bank. And I'm sure that that's probably what people used to use. I'm sure. But the fiberglass rods are pretty damn nice. Yeah. Because you could fit just like laid up along the gunnel in the boat, you know, you got 30, 40
4: of them in a very nice little package. What's the diameter on that? Uh, We have 5 eighths and 11 sixteenths too. Now we do have um, half inch poles, but we've discarded the half inch poles. And the reason we have is we never caught anything over like 25 pounds on a half inch pole. Oh. And I don't know the reason other than we think that. The fish can't hook itself, or I—I I, I don't. It's know not rigid, rigid enough. It's just not rigid enough. It's—it's it, it's like the twenty-five pound cut off. And then a ridge pounder threw your last half inch into the river.
2: <laughs> That's the benefit of cutting your poles. Those will float. Yes, yes. fiberglass
4: does. not That's a good float. point. <laughs> and a ridge pounder even even yell Mark Twain or anything. No. <laughs> i don't know what happened it, man let's just get to it <laughs> i asked we were making a
0: set we were making a set and i just asked ridge i kindly asked ridge hey can you take that pole and see how deep it is here easy task i thought and he just just kind of lowered the pole <laughs> into the water and then just let it drop
5: dude it just literally came out of my hand i was like oh i got this and then it just this i just watched it like disappear that <laughs> yeah, was the weirdest. It was one of the stranger things I've seen. <laughs> Neither of them said anything either. They just, just he you. just sort
2: <laughs> of was like
0: releasing it. That just happened. <laughs> a ten foot fiberglass pole. That wasn't a good morning for me either because then I threw a bait overboard. That was right before the the. It was right after he discarded yeah. a bait. Yeah. Um. So you have it rigged where it's a ten foot pole, and you run ten foot of of twine. Not twine. It's not cotton. Nylon braided nylon. In what the, was in, it the in the it? Pacific Northwest, they call it ganyon. Ganyon line. Ganyon. Have to remember that. Yep. it'd be a. It's ganyon. Like your that material used in that for that purpose would be ganyon. So you have roughly it's a ten foot pole, and you have ten feet of, eight feet of leader, right? Or not eight feet leader. Eight feet of main line. Yeah, main line. And then you put a plum sinker on it. What was like a one ounce plum, one ounce lead, right? Or whatever else we can find on the riverbank. <laughs> yep. Yeah. One ounce of lead. Then you put a, then you tie it to a barrel swivel. Big barrel swivel. Then off that barrel swivel, you got another two feet a liter, right? And then you use a big ass halibut hook, big right. circle hook, big circle hook. And on that circle hook, you like to tail hook or lip hook depending on the velocity of current.
4: Correct. Speak to that. There are tail men and there are head men. Okay, I'm a head man as a general rule, and because this is the reason, when you're fishing current, it's coming down. I like to hook them in the nose or in somewhere in the in the lips, so the current is the fish is oriented facing the current, and it's like it would be a natural swimming type of motion for them if you hook them in the tail they're facing backwards in that swift current and i mean in actuality they drown yeah um the the water is going backwards over their gills and they don't stay alive Um, and they die in a very unnatural shape at a 90 like they're all at a 90 you're right yeah they look like shit they look terrible and their scales are all fluffed out Yeah. but if in a uh the argument for
0: tails has got to be the longevity I, I, in no current that he's going to have
4: more action and 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 have action for longer. I think they stay on the hook better. Oh, a tail hooker with the tail hook. Oh, yeah. Because you're deep in the meat and it stays on. So in a in a an eddy or slow water, I like to hook them in the tail. If I if there's no current, because the smaller fish can't pick pick it off, or you know. Those sorts of things, they do stay on the hook better.
0: Yeah, I'll point out that um, bait loss is a big problem. <laughs> Giant. So, I want to walk through a couple other points. I explained the rig. You get a whole boatload of these rigs. You go down, launch your boat, and you just start punching in poles all over. And you're not, and, and it's you're, not
3: you're, that easy just to punch in a bunch of poles.
0: No, it's hard to punch in poles. And they make a little thing where, you wear a, a rubber-palmed, a tight-fitting rubber-palmed glove so you can get a good grip on the fiberglass stake. And you guys make a little, which which I don't know why he didn't turn me on to these or let me know about these. I had like kind of discovered on my own Yeah. after a lot of polls. No, Keith runs those. That they have a little block of wood. Parker's buddy has a little block of wood that he took a half or five-eighths drill bit, like a five-eighths auger bit drill and made a, Little circular cut, bored a little circle into the block of wood that fits the end of the fiberglass pole. You stick this block of wood under your tight-fitting rubber-palmed glove so that it's like one of that joke where, you know, those old things, those buzzers you put in your hand to shock (laughs) people when you shake their hand. It fits in your hand like that. Because what I was doing to sink the poles prior to my discovery of the woodblock was I would get it started and then put the end of the pole right up against my heart because I had a PFD on, a personal flotation device on with good padding. And I would put it against the padding of my life jacket and use the force of my body to drive it in. And this is all while the boats swirling around the current and the motors running and it's tricky. And you need to drive it in enough to hold a 60-pound flathead. Which is shocking that it works. It's, it is shocking. But then I discovered that block of wood. <laughs> and you put that block of wood, fit the hole over the end of the thing, and then you can just drive that son of a bitch in, and it's so satisfying, man. You're just like, yeah! In. Got him. 45-degree angle. And you're not driving it into the dry bank so much. Oftentimes, you're driving it into two, three feet of water. Right. Where it's hanging out at a 45-degree angle over deeper water. Right, And you'd like to put all your poles in because we're going to touch on bait loss. You don't like to bait until dusk. Right. So you go through and make all your sets, get all your poles in, ready to go. Then hang out. Factor in how much time it's going to take to where you're getting done just at the moment you need to start using your headlamp. And then go back through and bait all your hooks because big mambo jumbo flatheads Come out at dusk or at night. And you don't want all the turtles and gar destroying all your bait. Right. You want to have the bait hit the water at the magic moment. Right. But still, you come back in the morning, it's gone. Ninety easily ninety percent of that bait's gone in
4: the morning. Easily. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I'd like to know what gets the largest percentage of them. I don't know. I don't know if you're missing fish. I don't know if it's turtles, gars, combination of everything. Don't know. I feel as though you have to lose a
0: lot to turtles, and you have to lose a lot to gars. The reason I say the gars is because I've seen it happen limb lining, where with the bright sun, this is baiting in the bright sun where you can see what's going on in the water. Hang that bait down, and all of a sudden, there's three or four guards nosed up against it. That fast, they just know, right? They're down there anyway. That's why we don't do
4: it a whole lot in the middle of summer when the guards. were, and these, real, were short, these
0: were These were short nosed guards. Yeah,
4: but just like pecking at it, you know. So that's an issue.
3: But it's amazing to me how many baits, uh, especially those carp minnows, and then the bluegills, that would survive. The whole night, and hard then we, We'd be there at nine or ten o'clock in the morning, and you could fish that bait another day, just fresh.
4: And, and then I'm, uh, the, it's the big debate. Well, does does this spot suck? You know, you know. It's like, well, it's a great big good bait, and it hasn't been touched in twenty four hours. Should I move it or just sort of let them run? You know. Yeah. Parker's saying he likes to let those baits go and reward those baits. I do, just like a hard working bait. Like, man, you got caught. You were put in the bait bucket. We drove a big hook through your mouth. You're on there for two days. We're pulling our poles. I take that hook out as gingerly as I can, <laughs> and it's like a, a brook trout fisherman. I let him just slide <laughs> into the water and go free. Takes a little picture of it. Yeah, keep,
3: <laughs> yeah. keep him wet. Hashtag keep wet.
4: Thank you, sir. You did a great job. You did not get eaten by a flathead.
0: When you go out and check them, you like to start checking right at daybreak. Yeah. What, what What's the thinking on that?
4: The thinking on that is it's very visible to see, you know, those big poles bouncing, guys running the river. It, and it, it's titillating to
0: passersby.
4: It is. People running it's the river. Yeah, be a big pole bouncing, looking around going, <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> there's a big old flathead over there. That I could get. So, you kind of want to get out before all the people start running the river. And also, you know, the longer anything's on a set line like that, the more chance it has to escape or get off or work a big hole. So, try to get there early as we can.
0: And you go down the river, and you can tell, you know, a big flathead, the way he works a pole. You can tell. It's as exciting as, it's as exciting as like, I like in my mind, I keep going to muskrat trapping on the whole thing. Yeah, it's just exciting to go out and check. It is, it's like Christmas. Go out and check the line.
4: And talk about the way a big flathead is on that pole. So, if you visualize the pole sticking out at a 45 degree angle and a fish on the line of it, a smaller fish, it will be more of a bouncing, bobbing type of action. You know there's a fish on it, but you don't really know how big it is. But a big flathead, just with the weight, that pole just goes down slow or it'll be bent or stay, you know, kind of at a 20-degree angle or then slowly go under the water and disappear um, and then ease back up. You know it's just sheer poundage that's doing that. That 50-pounder.
0: Sucked that pole, slowly sucked that pole underwater, and held it underwater long enough that we thought he pulled the pole.
4: We thought it was gone.
0: Or I was worried that it pulled the pole.
4: I was too. I was thinking, he pulled it. We spooked him and he pulled it, but it eased back up. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's so
0: fun, man. Um, And sometimes they're on there and they don't buck. No. And you kept saying that I didn't believe it, but we eventually saw it.
4: Yeah. As, as you can't approach every pole if it's not moving particularly those bigger fish they'll just lay on the bottom and what what you don't want to do is have the pole come up to the pole and a fish take off and that pole go down and hit the gunnel or side of the boat because on those large fish they that, snap it. that stop will break or the ring off you gotta let them have that action so same and, way you wouldn't grab the tip of someone's rod when he's fighting a fish exactly exactly the same premise. So you come up and uh, with a pole, particularly one that Ridge Pounder threw in the bottom of the drink, You use that to fill the line before you get there. And if there's resistance to it, you know there's a fish on it, even if the pole's not moving. And I was telling you that. You kind of get lackadaisical because you're running poles, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then you pull up to one that's not moving. Bam! You know, you got a 35-pound blue cat on the end of it. Yeah.
0: That's a good transition. There's the trifecta, there's the catfish trifecta, which we pulled every day. Yep. We, we checked for two days and pulled trifectas on two days, though I lost one. Oh, yeah. I think it was yeah. an incomplete trifecta the first day because I, I tried to horse him up into the boat and didn't use a landing net, and he came unbuttoned.
4: And I was actually glad that that one got away because that was our first pole, and that's the ominous sign. Although we didn't do well. If you catch one on your first pole, man, it's like, that's bad juju. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, you go. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna, gonna cross
3: unless it. A, unless if it was a fifty pounder on your first pole.
4: Hey, yeah, then you're good. But to if catch a can. little channel on your first pole is not good luck. No, it, the thing about catching a fifty pound flathead is like the trip's made. Yeah. Even if it's on your first pole, there's no way you things can go bad. No, nope. because you're just you're peacocking around like just your fan is fully exposed <laughs> up and down the river. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you're hoping to run into some passers by. That's
4: right. See what I got.
3: Yeah, you were say this
0: is one of the inter- more interesting things you told me about this is that you go through, like your family eats mm. five deer in a year. Right. And you were saying uh that you don't even really care for deer hunting. And if someone came and just dropped off five gutted out deer in your driveway, you'd be just as fine with that. Man, would I? I would. And when you moved up here, the flathead fishing was so good that you dropped down to three deer a year and are eating two deer worth of flatheads. Two deer worth of flatheads.
4: It's a good trade. It's a good trade.
3: So that's probably roughly 100 pounds of flathead, probably. Two deer. Processed meat, right? 100
4: pounds of flathead filets.
3: Yep.
0: How many times a year do you need to go up and do – how many times a year do you go on limb line or
4: uh, bank pole? I do it two. Like you do two sessions a year? Two sessions a year, and it depends on the amount of biomass that I accumulate. I look in my freezer, and I go, I have enough. Or And it's good that it's two times a year because it's spring, and then if you look in the fall and you open and you go, man, I'm low on flathead, then you hit it hard in the fall. Mm -hmm. Or I still have some from the spring. So I don't need to hit it too hard. Yeah. And you, when you get all set up, it's a lot of work to get set
0: up. Do you usually do two or three checks or one yeah, check?
4: Yeah, I generally run them two or three nights for sure. And and uh, we watch the river levels, and generally you get them better on a rise uh, of the river. So uh, we watch the river levels. it's on a steep drop, we won't go. And when the conditions are right and we feel like we're going to have good good luck, then we'll go.
0: Um, back to the catfish
4: trifecta. Mm-hmm.
0: Channels, blues, and flats.
4: Can you speak to
0: the the edibility and mystique
4: and rank them out in a hierarchy? I can give my opinion. No, that's all. That's yeah. all I'm asking for. Okay. Because this will be met with resistance, I know, among each. Every catfish man ha- man has different thoughts. So for me, I like flatheads. But that that's universal though I feel like. People that have access to flatheads like flatheads. Yeah, they're not they do scavenge but not as as much as the other two species. They they prefer live. They're predators, live man. Yeah, yeah, they're predators. They're not scavengers. Yeah. Hence the giant mouth. You know? So, um they don't have as much fat on them. Uh the meat to me is better tasting, it's it's a little firmer. It's not a like, real flaky meat. Um, yeah, and catfish fat. We should point out tastes like shit. Yes, it does. And it's not so much when you when you go to cleaning a catfish. It's not so much the red meat that you're seeing now. I, I trim that, but it's the it's the light colored fat. It's like a
0: gelatinous, like you skin if you take a when you were skinning those blue cats with a pair of skinning pliers and you pull the hide on a blue cat, a big one. Underneath it is just a full-on gelatinous fat that when you touch it your hands are too greasy to hold your knife. Right. That stuff tastes like hell.
4: It's bad. So and now don't get me wrong blue cats are really good to eat, but you have to trim that off. If you leave it on, it's it can be That's why I think a lot of people don't trim that and they eat it and go, "God, this is horrible. Muddy. This is muddy. This tastes bad." And it's just it's not the it's not the meat; it's the fat.
3: Oh, and we talked about this the other day, and I think we've mentioned it on the podcast before. But we bought that catfish
0: for, for that shoot for, for that
3: film for yeah a little film shoot we had going on to do a recipe with catfish, and we just assumed that it's in the store, it's going to be trimmed out properly, and it was disgusting. It was yeah, yeah.
0: farm raised catfish that hadn't defatted it, and I just assumed they did, and we just cut it up and threw it in the fryer to take a picture
3: of a cat fried catfish fillet. But we eat all that stuff, you know. Like, oh yeah, but it tastes like dog shit, though. It was bad. So you could see how the the world over, you know, at least in first world country, they where they're buying meat in a store, you get turned off on catfish if that's what they're selling.
0: In the Midwest, I know you think that we're in it now, but the the the, the real let's say the in the up, in the Upper Great Lakes, um, because they have yellow perch, walleye. Smallmouth people don't target catfish, and catfish has a reputation as just being a muddy tasting fish. And I grew up thinking that, and used to, and we would catch them and fry them. And it's just not widely known. It is down here for sure among people who target them. It's not widely known that you need that you need to trim your fillets, because people up there are used to eating fillets that need no trimming.
4: Right so the, the so there you are you're, you're ranking them out the other argument is and I, and I think one that's more highly debatable i think like you said flatheads are are top top shelf in the catfish shelving world the blues and the channels are where a great debate happens um i prefer channels a little bit more than than blue cats, um, because of the fat contact. And, and I, I do. I want to point out that we caught a maybe a seven or eight pound channel. You said that's a channel. I was going, man. I think that's a blue cat um, because they're they're similar. And you were right. Um, we asked one of our fisheries buddies, and it's the it's the shape of the was it the was the it anal a, ray the anal ray and a channel. That's the screen. best. That's the best tip I've ever heard because they both have a forked tail.
0: Right. Like some people call channels forks because they have a fork tail, and the blue
4: has a fork tail, but the anal ray—that's a good tip. That's a hot tip that he had. That's a good one. And and so the anal ray on a channel catfish. So if you go to the fin that sits on the bottom side, the
0: bottom side that fits between the between the vent and the tail, and the caudal fin or tail, there's an anal ray, and
4: it's you go ahead. Yeah. Um, on a channel it's it's curved like like the bottom of a channel would be and that's that's the way he remembers it in his mind so it's it's like a like a d shape or a curved canoe shape yeah on, des- yeah it describes like an arc right yeah. an arc on the blue cat that fin is flat like a straight line yeah there's
0: like a radius a long straight line and another radius that comes back up into the fish
4: i'm not going to forget that no, i learned I'll that will never forget that yeah.
0: and i've struggled with it a lot and i've had pe- people send me pictures being like hey it's a blue cat and i'm like man i feel like it's a channel cat and you go no i think it's a blue cat right but it's just a final done deal done because there's a little bit of color variation but them damn the blue cats are gorgeous yeah they're blue man and they look like a it looks like a it looks like a they got skin like a mako shark man that kind of color you know and then uh channels have that like a yellowish grayish and then the flats in the great lakes the flats are a deeper almost chocolatey brown but here they they, some people even call
4: them yellows right yellow cats right yeah and you get some color variation for sure in those even here yeah there would be some dark brown that 50 pounder had like a ghostly yellow to it yeah those big ones are like that you see that big old yellow head come up on a bank pole Ooh. It's exciting, man. He doesn't
0: see the sun much Mm-mm. it's one of the biggest freshwater fish you're going to monkey with
4: yeah, other than sturgeon, I think so
0: yeah but widely available well managed right? right sustainable yield type thing I mean sturgeon are big with they're hurting right all over the hurt sure like no one's I shouldn't like, say no one. You know, There's places, right? There's places where you can do some freezer filling on sturgeon in a tightly regulated fashion. But like flatheads are like, you know, and as they as they phase out some of the commercial fisheries, because they're still, this is the kind of a little-known thing, that, you know, there's very few freshwater commercial fisheries in the U.S., particularly for native fish. Like when you rule out, there, there's some commercial fisheries for non-natives. But when you rule out the non-native commercial fisheries, there's very few freshwater native species commercial fishing that goes on in this country. You know, then you got like a salmon in Alaska. And the people debate like, are salmon saltwater freshwater? My brother's a fisheries biologist. He points out that they begin their life and end their life in freshwater. There are, they spend a lot of time out in saltwater. But there are some that never even touch salt water, and he says he's like it's arguable that a salmon is a it's a freshwater species, so there's a commercial fishery for those up there, right but here there's very little, and I think there's you know it, it, there there's not like an increased there's not an increasing commercial exploitation of catfish it's a decrease in commercial exploitation
4: of catfish absolutely catfish are being uh you know, uh, even the, even with aquaculture or growing catfish, the catfish farmers have really been hurting. You know, the past few years because that's the species is just not looked at as that great of a food fish as it what has has been in the past. And I don't know, I don't know why. You know, some of these other things are becoming more more popular, other species and easy to grow, and you know, tilapia kind of overtaken catfish and man you couldn't get me to eat a tilapia for anything those yeah they
0: market under different names too. nile well nile perch is because they're you know that's one of their native ranges Mm
4: -hmm. right you don't like tilapia or you You just don't like the idea i don't like the idea of it Uh, i I don't you know the i think i I heard um in florida in the everglades like half the biomass of fish tilapia Mm -hmm. you know invasive and and they're uh i mean i don't know the i mean they're like a carp they're a a, a vegetate vegetative eating i don't know man they grow them in cesspools on like a catfish i
0: don't know i I don't know i i was in the philippines and they um have rice terraces these are like communities where you can't not even road accessible you have to like hike into these areas in the philippines and there's people that have that thousand year old rice terraces And they do a rice harvest, so they'll grow a crop of rice, harvest it, and then as a way of fertilizing and regenerating the capabilities of the soil, they'll put in a harvest of tilapia Hmm. and let the tilapia live in there and the fish defecate, right? And then you harvest the tilapia and then replant rice. In that system, tilapia seemed cool to me. 'Cause it seemed like this very like harmonious kind of system that they developed. And in that way, like eating tilapia was cool. So I thought it was just like a cool way they had to go about it. In that in that particular situation, I looked at tilapia as being like a badass fish. But I'll you know, them as a non native, it becomes not as appealing. them as a non native in the US, they somehow lose a little bit of that. A friend of mine calls them the soy green of what was that movie? Charlie soy and Green. Soylent green. Mm-hmm. We're eating people. Yeah. it's people. Yeah, he calls it the soilent green of the fish world. But you know, a rainbow trout is equally as synthetic. Yeah, <laughs> it's a man-made fish. Farm raised or just in general, if you look at like what we've done with the rainbow trout, mm. propagated all around the world, moved in barrels everywhere, the stocking, right? So it's it's like a you know outside of the Pacific Rim, um,
5: it's a man-made fish. Because rainbows aren't native to, like, Midwest or any of that. Brown trout in this country, it's a man-made fish. Brown trout, too. Yeah, they're Eurasian.
0: Man. It's an invasive exotic. Brooks are native. Brook trout are native in the east. Cutthroat, native in the west. Native in the west. That's, yeah. Yeah, when you're on some pristine river casting dries at a brown it's a it's a barrel fish dude came over in a barrel give me the muddy river and a big flat man <laughs> well you're a river man though <laughs> so you like chantley explain the other side the flip side of this because you like a channel better than a blue explain well
4: uh, but you're saying it's contentious it is contentious uh, uh, the good thing about a blue catfish is they get great big and so there's a sheer amount of meat argument that you could use for fish and blues uh, the channels don't get near as big um so there's that aspect of it but man i don't know some of some of the guys just really prefer one over the other and i, I don't know i i'm i'm a channel man if if, if given the opportunity mm-hmm. now i like channels because out in my neck
0: of the woods that's the one we have greatest access to mm-hmm. So, the lower Yellowstone River, like, we fish channels. And there's, that's what you find there. I've heard rumors. They're unsubstantiated. Yeah, I don't know. I've heard rumors about how far up that system blues make it. And sometimes they push the, that they've been found way above their known westward terminus. I don't know. But we go after channels. But after this, hanging out, doing this, I'm definitely, like, I, I agree with you. There's a mystique to those flatheads. Like I'm with you if I lived in a place that had flatheads I would be a I would be a flathead guy um I like to fish yellow pr- I would probably abandon a lot of my activities in favor of fishing flatheads. They're cool they're super cool. And I know that they're so cool in fact that a lot of people now are sort of trouting them troutizing them where it's becoming taboo. like some people want to take like the bat the largemouth bass aesthetic and apply it to flats hmm. where they become like this untouchable you're
4: not supposed to eat them hey man i'm good with that as long as people could keep putting flatheads back in the river that's fine with me it's more for me to catch yeah you got a good
0: point can you explain your point on uh or i could do it for you on what your thoughts on uh heavy metal contamination
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i, I think it I like to think in my mind is every time somebody asks me, well, what about the heavy metals? And it goes in through my head, like the flesh contamination, like the the contamination of flesh from industrial pollutants. Aren't you worried about mercury or whatever? And I think in my mind, man, if I can fish, catch, clean, cook, fry up and eat so many flathead catfish that I get sick. And die? And die? I will have one at life, man. <laughs> like, look at Parker. He's he's 90, but uh, the mercury finally got him. All right, he, He's gray. Right. Yeah, that dude caught a bunch of flats. Yeah, he, may have <laughs> some he must have some good spots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the same argument when, when you go with DEET. Like, uh, is that DEET good for you? It's like, I, I don't know, man. Maybe you catch cancer in like 60 years, but do you want Lyme disease or acute? you know spinal swelling from some other <laughs> disease or chiggers spray it on man yeah I'm with you I use deep yeah
0: and I like I was explaining to you I saw deep warp the back of my phone case off and destroy my phone but I still put it on my body now and then because I've also had Lyme disease yeah and I've also had sugar infestations (laughs) so we good on cats anybody got anything any final thoughts on cats caught some biggins
6: they're cool fish just a giant they look like dinosaurs tenacious yeah
5: yeah we were looking at after parker uh finished cleaning the big one we like me and seth were like looking at it hanging on the tree and there was like you can look up through its gill plate, into its mouth. It's just, like, such a simple thing. Because, like, you could just look up, and you're like, oh. And then that's the inside of it. And yeah. it's like. You mean, while well, you're looking into that gaping maw? Yeah. And
0: it's just so, yeah, man. I like that they don't um, no, like, teeth. I yeah. mean, they have, like, sandpaper. Yeah. A really, their mouth, their bottom and top lip are coated with a really grippy sandpaper. And then they have these crushers. In the back of their throat that are coated with sandpaper. Like when he gets a hold of something, that something's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have, it's nice, it's a nice fish when you can just reach in there, a 50-pounder, and reach in there and just grab his lip and not ribbing your hand. That's nice because it's just satisfying to pick up those cats by that bottom lip, man. A thing I don't like about them is how, long, how long they live in the bottom of the boat. My sister-in-law, when we fish with our sister-in-law, Juanita, she makes us promptly kill every fish. And it's time-consuming when you're into them real good. She will not be in a boat with a live fish in that boat. This is getting me in trouble
4: right now, just so you know. My wife's the same exactly.
0: Yeah. She'll sometimes not even – she'll stop fishing <laughs> just to be the person who dispatches all the fish. Kill the fish. Because me and my brother, I oh, we'll get them later. But she treats it like – Yeah that you need to promptly dispatch the fish. She would not like bank polling. She'd have to bring a shotgun. It's not easy to dispatch
4: a 50-pound fish
0: in the boat. No, you'd have to use in a gun. you had have to bring a snake charmer out with you and yeah. hang them over the side of the boat and hit them with a snake charmer like like castaways drawing lots, man. You ever read that book, In the Heart of the Sea?
4: Um, no, oh, I don't think my so. My goodness. Um, anything else? No one. I have one thing that I thought about on the way over here. Please. I want to go back to what happened at the end of the squirrel hunt. Oh, we're back to squirrel hunt. Yesterday. And I was thinking the reason... Me missing that rabbit? The reason people don't use slings that are (laughs) jump-shooting rabbits or quail or jump-shooting... It just, in general, is because of what happened yesterday, I think. Because that's a real, that was an issue. I use my sling on my shotgun
0: turkey hunting, and I use my sling on my shotgun squirrel hunting, where you're doing a lot of walking around. And with squirrel hunting, because I need to use my binoculars, I need to be able to put my shotgun on my shoulder or whatever to look through my (laughs) binoculars. Same, I use binoculars (laughs) turkey hunting. I use binoculars all the time turkey hunting. So if I was out quail hunting or cottontail hunting, I wouldn't have
4: the sling on it, but it saved that rabbit's life. It did. It was it was apparent it, uh, a rabbit kicked up right uh, at the end of the hunt, close to the truck, and ran directly away. from A me. beautiful J route to you, and then <laughs> I got my attention. The J, yeah, the here I come. You know, like going around a, a, a greyhound ring. You know, like <laughs> here I come. And then ran directly away from you for like, till it disappeared, like 60 or 70. Yeah, yards. at a trajectory where you need to do no aiming. Right. Just point in that general direction.
0: And I fling my shotgun up and it, the sling is somehow tangled around it. You can't see. But gave her a you know, good blouch anyways. But oh. just like off in that direction. Yeah. Looking through a sling.
4: Yeah, I was dumbfounded. You said you <laughs> said the slings and I couldn't see. I was like, ah, because it was a, it was a, it wasn't a thin sling that when you had oh those, no, it's like a, a padded shoulder. It's called a. Folks should know this. It's called what do they call those quakes?
0: Yeah, <clears throat> quake sling. Those are some nice freaking slings, man. Yeah. What I do on them though, the hardware on them is no good when you buy them. What's that company that makes? Oh, uh, Grove Tech. I take the quake sling and cut the hard. One end, you can just undo the hardware because it comes like Uncle Mike's on it. So on one end or some I can't remember what hardware they use. But anyways, on one end, I undo, you can just undo it and put a Grove Tech mount on it. Grove Tech hardware on the other end. The other end, you actually got to cut through the stitching, put a Grove Tech on there. You just order the Grove Techs online. Put a Grove Tech on there, put it back, and then I got to get dental floss and my big-ass needle and redo all the stitching. And then you got a sling. And then you got live rabbits. Yeah. That should be <laughs> should be in your bag. What, that was embarrassing.
4: What a treat that would have been, that little added rabbit. I know, man. That was embarrassing. Dude, but,
5: from a camera perspective, like me and Mike were like right there. You guys were just talking, and it just happened, like for the camera, it just happened so naturally. And it would have been so cool. It was like the rabbit, I just see everything. Mike's on Parker, it's just like if the scene was, I mean, it still was a fun scene, but like, yeah, if that, Rabbit did hit. you capture that oh whole thing man yeah yeah we were right there he really oh, wanted you really right. yeah it was like i was like this is this over the shoulder over the shoulder man everything it was like the perfect Dude, setup can we
0: dig out that footage so i can use that footage oh, as a warning. man oh for sure as yeah. a warning to people yeah
5: yeah
4: that was embarrassing i don't think you should be embarrassed no. it was an issue it's a sling yeah. issue you couldn't see i would have made fun of you if it, you'd have just missed that one but It is nice
0: to have that little crutch. That wasn't your fault. That little
4: thing. That
0: That wasn't your fault. Oh, man. Anything else? Oh, I got a concluder. After a long, like our our, uh, merch store, it's been lackluster for a long time. But We're getting it really hardcore back up and running. And we just got in stock a whole bunch of uh, Meat Eater Podcast t-shirts, including our Blouch shirt. So if you go on to the, to the meat eater.com and go into the store, you'll be able to get yourself a Meat Eater podcast T-shirt. And I was saying in the description that even if you don't know what it means, it's just a cool shirt with a weird word on it. <laughs> right? Keeps people guessing. You can go to the ladies in the bar and be like, check this out. What do you think that means? <laughs> I recently heard about a guy who goes to the bar and brings a... <laughs> I almost don't even want to bring this up. He, for some reason, puts Tic Tacs, he carries a thing of Tic Tacs around in his pocket. And he reaches, when he's talking to a woman in the bar, he reaches into his pocket and shakes that Tic Tac thing and goes, I hear a rattlesnake. Or there's a rattlesnake in my pants or something. I remember just thinking that, like, the quality of person, that that's going to dredge up. I'd always use it
5: as a filter of who I didn't, want i feel like the quality matches quality like if you're the type of dude to go into a bar and do that the person that you're gonna that get you're gonna net probably the, the person, person that that trick
0: is gonna net yeah perfect match yeah it's, man. there's
5: a rattlesnake in my
0: pants
4: yeah <laughs> that's what he says that's known as the low cull factor yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't call many <laughs> <laughs>
1: i don't high grade yeah.
0: i don't high grade at the bar
1: uh you know i actually got a double concluder because here's the deal. Uh, I go fish channel catfish every year. um out in the lower Yellowstone. And we have, over the years, go out there with my kids. And over the years, we have developed, we have perfected, between me and my bro, the perfect fried catfish sandwich. And we have a link to a video about how you can go. No, not a link. Just go watch the damn video. If you go to the TheMeatEater.com, or you can go to the show notes and find a link in the show notes, and you can see our video about how to make the perfect, it's not, it's like a, I, I like it because we make the sandwich with catfish, but it's good for anything. And in fact, I don't know, man, you can make the sandwich with any kind of fried fish, rockfish, catfish, smallmouth bass, walleye, I don't care. But um, we break it all down in this video. And you go check it out again go to the meat and you'll find the perfect catfish sandwich recipe or like i said link in the show notes and here's the deal is it's it's also captured in our forthcoming the meat eater fishing game cookbook um so you can find it there as well
0: Uh, any more
5: concluders anyone ridge uh don't you don't make one up for no reason no I'm not making one up just oh. reflecting on the life of a river man and a squirrel man and that it's a good one it's mm-hmm. just a good rewarding rewarding life man you could see it I, I could I, yeah I could be, in a different life I could be a part <laughs> of it <laughs> fully yeah that was on your fortune cookie last night it was yeah business opportunity trapping pigs or just living on a river trying to avoid meth <laughs>
6: Do you think that'd be tough? <laughs> for Stick to flatheads, man. <laughs> Seth, any final thoughts? Ah, uh, no, just cool hanging out with you, Parker. Learned a lot. It was, yeah, thanks it for was coming. fun.
0: It was a good time. It was fun. Yeah, and you grew up chasing the wily squirrel.
6: Yeah, I grew up chasing squirrels. But my first flathead experience—good. So no flatheads in Pennsylvania. Uh, I don't. I don't even know. We never. It was something we just never pursued. No, you know what, I th- man. We caught
0: a big flat one time out of, I uh, think, not native there. We caught a big flat one time out of the Delaware. Did you? Between Pen- where it flows between Pennsylvania and New York. Yeah. I need to go back and look at a picture of that catfish, man. It was a long time ago, but I feel like I can't, Yeah, I feel we caught a big flat out of the Delaware.
6: Knowing what I know now, if, you know, if I was back in Pennsylvania and I knew they had flats, I'd be all over them. Well, they're not like these ones. You know, I mean, I don't think there's
0: not many places you're gonna go out and get them like this. No. I, I spear gunned a Big Flat out of Lake Michigan because sometimes in the late summer the lakes get so hot. You know the break walls they have. Are you familiar with the Great Lakes at all? No. You familiar with the break wall is so like in the Great Lakes all like if you go on the western side of Lake Michigan. You have all the river systems that are, that are flowing west toward Lake Michigan, and the river systems usually pass through like a large, you know, you, like like a large estuary, which would be like the lake. So White Lake, Muskegon Lake are the river mouths. And so the rivers will spill out and they'll form these big lakes that form against the sand dunes that form the, the 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 shoreline of Lake Michigan. Gotcha. And then they'll hold back these big bodies of water, and then there'll be a channel that leads that drains that lake out into Lake Michigan. And the channels used to migrate. But they eventually came in and channelized them with big channel walls. So they built channel walls for shipping so that ships could come off the Great Lakes yep. through the channels into the big lakes and the cities are built around the big lakes. And you had mills and you know coal fire generators and all the stuff that needed to get coal in, lumber out, and all that. Um, to protect those channel mouths, the channelized channel mouths, you'd build these break walls to bust up the surf. And so they would just take riprap giant slabs of concrete and shit and build these big protective arms that sort of stretch out and come back in almost like a like a diamond shape with the points cut off it yep. to protect the channel from waves. And when the lakes get super warm, if it's a really hot late summer, the big flatheads would come out of there and go out and then live in those rock piles. Because it also gets so hot that a lot of suckers and stuff will come out or they're coming up from the depths in Lake Michigan, I don't know. But they'll come out, and yellow perch will come in and all be living in those rocks where the water's nice, much cooler than inside. And the big flatheads will come out and land there. And you can, uh, there, you're allowed to spear gun. There's only certain things you can spear gun or, or shoot with a bow, but catfish are among them. And I went out one time when we were diving down spearing red horse suckers but I ran into and speared a giant flathead out in Lake Michigan so in that way I'm among a very small small minority of the American population who spearheaded a flathead out of Lake Michigan yeah Can't two or three people. dudes are going to write in and be I did it too but it's a small yeah. subset of the American population yeah. that is speared flat Lake Michigan any of you? no see told you <laughs> that's my concluder michael
2: um i had a great time you enjoyed it yeah following you guys and by the way i did bleed good a few times (laughs) more the first day but yeah that was a fun first time filming you guys been watching the show for a while so it was kind of weird to be following you but it's helpful because you probably knew what we uh how it goes yeah what it looks like yep it did help and i'm excited to eat some catfish and squirrel
3: Johnny? Me too, man. But my concluding thought is we need to cut this, shut it down because I need to go and uh, apply some anti-itch cream. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> All right, turn it off.
0: Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So, check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what i'm talking about approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply you got to see your local store for details two-thirds of americans are at risk of experiencing an electrical blackout you could be one of them sitting in the dark and cold for hours for days maybe even weeks are you ready to protect your family you could be with the patriot power solar generator 2000x these things are sweet because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable. Go to 4patriots.com meat eater to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com meat eater.